And so let's continue our conversation about Napoleon. Which yeah. We're having just, which we should have recorded some. So I will repeat for the listeners what, <laughs> what that. So last night I'm sitting with Mark and his wife. Uh, who really keeps him in line. I got to say that the, the Vivian keeps him totally in line. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Uh, Cause that, that sucker needs to be corralled. So, <laughs> so we're the, the two, all two hours and 58 minutes of the thing or two hours and 38 minutes, 158 minutes overall. So it, it ends. And, and it, the, the most perfect review of this film was, was Mark's reaction right after the movie ended movie. The credits start rolling and <laughs> here's Mark right over to my right. And he goes, huh? <laughs> that's still funny it's still funny <laughs> that was it <laughs> that, that was like the perfect review can be taken many ways but still yeah. funny yeah uh, 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 you know, yeah whatever you know there it is huh i'm i'm having an issue you know, with all of these things two and a half hours if all if all that generates is huh <laughs> that's, that's not a good situation <laughs> Yeah. I, where was I when you guys were at that? Yeah, I was at uh, I was at uh, Emerald Fennell's uh, new film. Uh, oh yeah, Salt, 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 Saltburn. You see, so you were the, that was the Hollywood Cemetery, right? Uh, well, this uh, the one I went to was down at the Ace, some sort of premiere, blah blah blah, oh, okay. uh, thing down at the Ace where you know where we have the the big yeah. uh, the big yeah. film week thing uh, there, and it was all fine. And and I got to tell you about the same review. <laughs> about the same review. About the, well, here's the thing. I liked it the first time I saw it when it was called The Talented Mr. Ripley, uh, which, 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 which I liked many years ago when it was called Purple Noon or something, whatever that Frenchman was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've seen this movie many, many times. I always like it, but I have seen it. Yeah. Yeah, there it is. Oh, my. I mean, it is not turning out to everyone thought this would be a great year. I don't know, man. I mean, uh, the taste of things is the one that I've most enjoyed, mm-hmm. which is the uh, Tron Unhung film with Juliette Binoche. And uh, and, and I was Mark and, and Vivian and I were at a uh, an event with her at the French consul's house the day before yesterday. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're seeing Ferrari tonight. It's funny. We have the same schedule. I you know, <laughs> take Mark and Vivian every night this week. Uh, you I, guys are seeing all the good movies. I, seeing I, Ferrari tonight <laughs> and seeing Color Purple tomorrow. Going to the premiere of Color Purple tomorrow. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm at Saltburn and, and Next Goal Wins and Hunger Games and Battle of the Songbirds <laughs> and Snakes. That's what I'm doing. You guys at the French freaking consulate. <laughs> and I'm over with, a, oh. with the damn Hunger Games prequel. Yeah. 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 Sorry kinda, about that. I'm on the show this week, so that's, it is what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. But it's, anyway. but it's that time of year, and you're all right, of course. Uh, and, I, and I've seen a few films that I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, the historical um, uh, uh, drama about Baird Rustin. Rustin. Oh, good. Uh, I, haven't, uh, I, haven't, I haven't watched that yet. Uh, 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 Coleman Domingo playing playing this figure who's you know uh, uh, you know a very important figure that not not enough people know about who know who Bayard Rustin is. Uh, the reason there was a, a march on Washington yeah. is because of Bayard Rustin, the guy who's standing to his left, Martin's left, <laughs> and nobody knows his name. But it's all but that's the thing about yeah. those histories. There are always those people. In those histories, I am very much looking forward to seeing American Fiction. I don't know ah. if you've seen the trailer for it because you know we've known each other for over thirty years, and I'm. Have you, have you seen the trailer for American Fiction? I have seen the trailer for American Fiction. Yes, I watched that trailer and I'm like, this is about Tim. I swear, <laughs> this is significantly about Tim. I'm not even going to disagree with you. <laughs> Jeffrey Wright, I'm looking at him. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, but I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen that. I still have to see it, too. So look, looking forward to that. 
Um, uh, I don't know, man. Uh, as you say, the year, um, it's, it's feeling like the films that will be contenders are films we've already seen. Uh, certainly Oppenheimer, certainly something around Barbie, uh, certainly the script for Barbie anyway. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, um, uh, a few, a few of, a few of those. Um, but I, I don't feel, uh, and, and, you know, I'm, you know, me, not a big fan of killers of the flower moon. Yeah, uh, a, a movie I appreciate, but I'm not going to be handing any awards to. Right. Um, and w- which means that whatever it's going to be, I haven't seen the Color Purple yet, the musical adaptation of the Color Purple that's coming up. Yep, seeing that night after uh, uh, Thursday. I, I, think I'll, I think I'll be back on the schedule, you guys, by then. Uh, and uh, you know, so we'll see what happens with that. That, but I don't know. Uh, I feel like uh, all the one poor things. The Yorgos Lathamos was actually more because you know I'm I'm very hit and miss yeah. with Yorgos. Same here. Uh, but Same that here. one, that one was, was, was so, you know, it'll be an interesting, it'll be an interesting year. Cause I know this, I know the Academy needs some big, 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 big movies yes, to, be not, to be nominated for Academy Awards. Yeah. All of them really. And at the moment, the big, 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 big movies, Barbara and Oppenheimer, those are the only two. It's feeling like it. You know, yeah. there certainly aren't nope. 10. No, uh, I don't think there's going to be 10. Uh, I think we, you know, it, it's feeling, I mean, I wish they'd go back to five. I really do. Yeah. But it's, uh, it, it is feeling like a, like maybe an eight year, like maybe eight films, maybe. Yeah. But they got to, they got to fix that. And, you know, I, I have furnished the Academy, the data on this, by the way, I have furnished them the data that demonstrates that when they have more than five nominees, um, they they get a split they get they spread the wealth more and the result is that they get lower ratings i have mm. shown them that data i don't know what they're going to do because they, what they don't want to do is get back to being criticized why didn't you nominate my this film and that film and it's like because you can only get five you know the get, go back to five it'll it'll work mm. out better for you yeah um well let's 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 talk about some um some of our obits here uh real quickly pipe since we were last on piper Laurie left us Mm. And Piper Laurie, of course, had at one point had been married to our our friend and colleague Joe Morgenstern, formerly yeah. of the Wall Street Journal, now retired happily and uh, absolutely ageless. So feel very bad for for Joe because they were still close. Yeah, Suzanne Summers left us. Mm. Um, Bert Young left us, and Richard Roundtree. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, I want to talk about Richard, but 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about Suzanne for a second. Yeah, uh, because I used to run into Suzanne a lot. She lived in North Hollywood, where the wife and I lived, or in Tulip yeah. Lake, anyway. You know that area. Uh, many many years ago, early '90s. We're talking early mid '90s, and would run into her all the time. She was a fabulous person, uh, just a real everyday you know, gal. Yep. Uh, and she had this lounge act that she did at this club up uh-huh. on that she saw the shame. She would always just, you know, bring us in. Don't do it. We'd sit down. And Suzanne Summers had an extraordinary voice. Yes, she did. Uh, you know, there was a time in history when she could have made a living just singing. Um, uh, and, and, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, we, particularly guys of a certain age, we get stuck with these images of people. So Chrissy Snow, Chrissy. you know, yeah, Chrissy. you know, with the blonde, you would know, a lot yeah. of kind of stuff. Let me tell you something. Suzanne Summers was incredibly smart. 
in a whole bunch of ways. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and she built a career for herself out of just about nothing uh, in this town, and never ever ever complained about you know any any of those little boxes that we put people in. You know, yeah. blonde, and you now nah, she was good to go, good to go, Suzanne Summers. And we forget about that fantastic contraption that I almost killed myself using. <laughs> she, I don't know whether she, I don't know where it came from. Whether she just endorsed it or invented it, the the ab flex. Remember that thing? Yeah, I do. Not, I do. No, it, no, was the, it was the, the, thigh. Thigh, the thigh master or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah, the thigh thing. Yeah, I almost hurt myself many, many <laughs> trying to use that thing. So and love me some married, Suzanne Summers. Yeah. She was married forever to Alan Hamill. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know really what his job ever was. They were immensely happy. They, even in their senior years, talked way too much about their sex life. <laughs> um yeah, I mean, you know, she she would do these interviews. Oh, I can't wait to just grab him and throw him down. It's like, <laughs> oh, sweetie, sweetie. But all I remember about Alan Hamill was that he was uh, the TV spokesman for Lucky Supermarkets for years until they merged with Ralph's or something and uh, Vaughn's, whatever it was. And then uh, he went away. That's it. Did he do anything else? I don't know. I don't remember. remember look, Alan is, is, is a forever hep cat. Uh, I would see him on red carpets with Suzanne, and you had to ask Alan, dude, what are you wearing? <laughs> and it would always be something like Armani. Alan was that guy. Uh, uh, so, you know, I could see why she was hot for Alan. He was a, he was yeah. a hep cat. Is a yeah. Alan, Alan's still alive. Talk talk about Roundtree, man. Uh, you know we uh, we did a uh, we've 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 had some conversations about him since that that passing, and I mean I think a much more pivotal figure. What I brought up in our last conversation was people have to stop referring to Shaft as a black exploitation film because it was a studio film. Mm-hmm. It was a straight up mainstream studio film. It did not belong to the exploitation genre of the time. And um, that made Roundtree one of the most significant black leading men since Sidney Poitier. I mean, a real breakthrough, a real breakthrough part in a novel, which was very successful and popular prior to the film. So all that being said. Yeah. And, and of course, it's really funny. You know, again, Richard is one of those guys that oddly enough, Richard Roundtree is a person that came into the into the into the homes of, of, of folks in the black community way before Shaft did, because Richard was on the box of many yeah. hair care products that right. we used. You right. know, Stay Soft Fro and Afro Shade. If you look right at that box, the brother that you were looking at was a very, very young 19, 20, 21 year old model named Richard Roundtree uh, for Every Fashion Fair. And he was a brilliantly trained actor to uh, National Ensemble Theater, the, the, which is um, uh, founded by our good friend Robert Hooks, uh, your good friend of Francesca, Robert yeah. Hooks, yeah. Uh, uh, Kevin Hooks' dad, and just this yeah. old big man. Trouble man. Trouble man. Uh, uh, and, and that, 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 um, National Ensemble Theater, Negro Ensemble Theater, National Negro Ensemble Theater p- gave us Richard Roundtree as well as Lou Gossett Jr. and, 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 and Glenn Turner. There's just so many you can't even uh, begin the name. So that's where Richard was trained. So people think sometimes that these guys just sort of get plucked. No trained professional actor and the first thing richard would have said to anybody uh, if you're gonna do you're gonna eulogize me tell everybody what you just said wade uh, that shaft is not a black exploitation film he didn't have any trouble with black exploitation cinema but but shaft wasn't it that uh uh, barry gordy's son as you always point out barry gordy jr uh, oh, uh, 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 not Barry uh, Gordy. Not Barry Gordy. Uh, 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 Gordon Parks. Yes. 
Gordon Parks' son, Gordon Parks Jr., thank you, uh, did make uh, a black exploitation film, May Superfly. Yeah. Uh, so the son made metrically the opposite. <laughs> Dad did not make a movie about a pimp <laughs> and and uh, uh, and uh, selling drugs. Uh, 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 Gordon Parks. No, he made he made a, a movie about a black man with authority, the authority to traverse many communities, including uh, you know the the yeah. established community of the police and all of that that gangster community, and of course his his own community, uh, that black community that he that he was walking around in that black leather jacket, and that's a completely sort of different dynamic than than what was in many of those. And, and you know, I, I I I always like to try to help people understand what the moment of Shaft was all about because there is a real sea change there, and uh, black exploitation films had a had been in the mix for a while. We had had independent films which were not necessarily exploitation films, of which Gordon Parks had been a part as well, and it was a it was kind of pivoting away from Sidney Poitier, which you've often brought up many times is like. That guy had a, had an unrealistic burden on him to be sort of carrying the the dignity and the public image of every civil rights era black person in in America. I mean, mm. he just he 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 had to sort of he could he almost couldn't be a villain. He couldn't be a lot of those. He had to be this symbolic figure. And at a certain point, a lot of a lot of people, you know, other actors said, "I got to do something else." And there's something great about that entire opening sequence of Shaft. He's walking the streets of New York. He's crossing the street. He's, you know, the guy honks. He gives him the eye back. I mean, he's just, he's a, he's a <laughs> different, you know, he's a man of the seventies. We have left the sixties behind. We have left the fifties behind. This is the seventies. And that movie is so characteristic of that decade of that attitude of that new New York. Mm-hmm. New York, as we know it today, was really born in the 70s. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and had to go through that transitional period. But, and yes, so that's what you have in Richard Roundtree. And just to, to add, Richard Roundtree Round has three movies yet to be released. Richard Roundtree never stopped uh, working. Never stopped working. Uh, and uh, which is uh, just sort of an amazing, amazing thing. You know, we peg him as Shaft, but make no mistake, um, uh, never yeah. stopped working, not, not for one day. So, Richard, love you, baby. And then lastly, want to mention the very, very sad death of uh, Iranian new wave filmmaker, pioneering filmmaker Dariush Merjoui, uh, who was murdered in Iran. Mm-hmm. Uh, this didn't make a whole lot of the trades, but it um, he was he was stabbed to death. There are no suspects in the stabbing, and it is uh, expected to to event. I mean, it, it'll never come out, but I think a lot of people, and I'm one of them, think that he was, in fact, killed by the regime. Mm. Made a lot of wonderful films. Hamoon from 1990 is an amazing movie. Uh, the Cow, his... Mm. his uh, oh, his 1969 debut. or so, 69. late 60s. Yeah, yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful film. Uh, Layla is one that I absolutely love. I reviewed that 1996, you know, the Pear Tree 98. I mean, he was amazing in the 90s in particular. Turan and, Turan, and, and, and uh, recently, I guess, that's the 2000s anyway. I remember Turan Turan, this is 2000 sometime. Uh, so, yeah, uh, and yeah, I think you're probably right, Wade, and the, he, re- well, re- the regime. He, he gave a speech last year where he talked to a, a in a theater, he talked to an audience and he lambasted the regime for its censorship and said, I can't take it anymore. I want to fight back. Kill me. Do whatever you want with me. Destroy me. But I want my right. And um, indeed, they appear to have done just that. He mm-hmm. and his wife on mm-hmm. October 14th were both found stabbed to death in their uh, in their villa. And um 
you know, I, I, I hope maybe at some point we will, uh, we will find out what happened, but, uh, you know, Jafar Panahi, who is, is no stranger to his own troubles was there and spoke at the funeral. Very, mm. these, these brave Iranian filmmakers who stick it out and have not gone expat. It's very, very impressive. Uh, Darush was 89, uh, 83. Yeah. Uh, I think. Yeah. He's in his eighties. About that, yeah. Uh, uh, so you know, um, a stalwart in, 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 in a long pioneer. life, a long career, pioneer, and I and I that's think that that's, that was his intention, just to simply call out the system. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, we're going to hit a few uh, foreign films here. I'm just going to blow through these foreign real fast because we these are some really important foreign films we haven't talked about in a little while. Um, and uh, right off the top, I want to talk about uh, Lida. The Myth Comes to Life. This is in uh, 3D and 2D versions on one disc. Really interesting movie. Utterly fascinating. Based on a, uh, a Greek myth. And uh, this is on Blu-ray from uh, Patagon Films and Archive Media. And, uh, you know, if you, if you still have a 3D Blu-ray player, I'm, this is not a bad thing to throw on there because it's not like a Hollywood 3D film. But obviously, that you know that whole technology is is harder to come by these days. Mm. Uh, but what a, what an utterly fascinating film this is! What a what a strange, unusual, fascinating movie. Um, it's uh, about a woman who has these um, these hallucinatory visions, and uh, this is directed by Samuel Tressler the Fourth. In it. Debut filmmaker, very stylized, very, very impressive. But if you know the story of Leda and the Swan, it's an ancient Greek myth. And the Spartans, Spartans, I think she is, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's this, this kind of modernizes it into this, uh, this, this, um, period environment from about, you know, like about 200 years ago is when it looks like it's really taking place. And it, it's this, this kind of crusty mansion. And, uh, it really is, um, it, it, it modernizes the myth and yet it leaves it in a different period. And the, the way the 3d is used is really interesting. I had to go, you know, bust out the 3d glasses, which I haven't used on you know the <laughs> one TV here in ages. Like we only have one TV that's 3d in the house. Right. Uh, uh, so I went and I went and, uh, and, and busted that out and it really is, uh, it's, it's cool. It's, it's really worth it. And I don't, I don't praise 3d very often, but it's, uh, it's worth doing here. But um, no, it's really it's haunting and it's uh, it's beautiful black and white photography, really uh, mixed with color at points. It's just it's it's a little bit experimental, but it's really uh, it's really a wonderful, wonderful uh, modern mythical retelling. Mm. So uh, there is that. And I and I look forward to um, all the people involved in this who are all involved in the commentary. Um, I look forward to them um being involved in other things in the future. Very interesting film. We also have on um, Blu-ray, Blu-ray Rodeo by Lola Kivoron. This is uh, a, it's basically a rebel youth film. Um, it's, uh, it's in French. It's uh, part of this new kind of a, there's a, there's a new movement in French cinema, which is very much about uh, angsty youth. And it's a little bit where American films were in the fifties. And then again, for a moment in the early nineties, mm. that's kind of, you know, there's, there's, there's some of that restlessness with the young French filmmakers right now. And um, she's, you know, she, she, basically uh, rips people off. She rips off uh, motorcycles. She has a scam. 
I love I love that movie, dude. Um, that girl in that cool, movie, right? she's she's captivating. She has this giant gap in her teeth. Uh, what do they yeah. call that? I forget what they call a it. Diastema. A diastema. And and she's ridiculously beautiful. And it's just in in sort of lean. It's just really sort of striking. Uh, she was the thing that really made that movie. Yeah, it's amazing. It's it's it's, it's a it's a gritty, cool film. It's a uh, it's a it's a it's part of this it's part of a new thing which involved which includes um you know Laj Lee who's you know who did uh, the new Les Miserables not based on the uh, the Victor Hugo it's basically about the you know the urban area of Paris known as Les Miserables he did that mm-hmm. a few years ago which was the French submission for the Oscar it, it's all kind of in the same mix uh we have a great film here from Italian director Emmanuel Crialis called Limencita with Penelope Cruz who does movies equally adeptly in Spanish and in French and in uh in Italian and um this is a this is a very autobiographical film on the part of Crialis very interesting movie there's a revelation from his life that no one knew that he made um, around the time this film was released. I won't get into those details because mm. it's very politically volatile and I want people to put their politics aside in this because this is him telling his story in a very personal and non-political way. Um, growing up in the 1970s and uh, certain coming-of-age struggles and this is the story of um, Penelope Cruz and one of her children. And um, and how they are trying to sort of navigate all of these these family issues in the 1970s. Um, Really a very interesting film worth discussing after you've seen it. Another was Juliette Binoche, who I just met two nights ago uh, at an event at the French consul's house with again with Mark and his wife. Uh, She's in a number of films lately, including Between Two Worlds by Emmanuel Carrere. She's wonderful in all of them. This is from Cohen. It's just a beautiful movie. See it for Juliette Binoche. She's um, she here. She plays a woman who gets a job. Um, uh, how do I even do this without giving it away? She's um, well, I mean, you, you find out fairly early on. She's an author and she goes undercover to write about the people who are the working class cleaners on this ferry that goes um you know back and forth uh between you know northern france and uh and and england and she um you know keeps it a secret gets to know these people and it it then eventually takes some interesting dramatic twists and turns but it's really a wonderful film and it's actually shot on the ferry i mean so Mm. it's it's not like they recreated the ferry on uh, on a soundstage somewhere uh, another great French film, uh, this wonderful actress I've never seen before, Laura Calami in Full Time by Eric Ravel. This is, the French make a lot of movies about working. Americans mm-hmm. don't. Like you find a lot of French movies. Oh, about we used to. We don't anymore. I mean, I mean, you yeah. know, your 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 Martin Ritz and your yes, wait exactly twenty five thirty years ago, but not anymore. Exactly. No. Yeah. But they the, the French are very, you know because un, unemployment and jobs and work frustration. It's a big part of French culture. Always mm. has been. And this woman uh, is just she's she's trying to get a decent job. She's a single mom. She's got to somehow make this her commute to this uh, job that doesn't pay her enough and take her kids and the neighbor sometimes takes the kids and she's got to like deal with the daycare for the kids and deal with, you know, working this, this low end job, hoping that her college education, you know, uh, which justifies a better job that that'll pan out and she's sending resumes. 
pretty much this movie is just this woman running, 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 running. She's running to the truck, she, to the to the train. She's running to the bus. She's missing a ride. She's running. She's trying not to be late for her job. She doesn't want to get fired, but she's got to pick up her kids. She's got to help her kids so they can get to school the next day. It's exhausting watching this poor woman in this movie. It is it's an, it's an extraordinary film. Of course, this is all during this national transit strike, of which there are many. Yes, right. Of, of, of strikes of all sorts uh, there, and of course, there's an empathy that one, because the strike is why? Why are these people striking for a better wage, for a better for, yeah. for a better cost of living, for a better? But what does she need? A better wage. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the strike, the thing that is killing her, is, is, is she's caught in the middle. It's an extraordinary thing. Uh, and then we have Lee Rijun's film, Return to Dust, which is a beautiful love story. This is not on Blu-ray. This is on uh, just DVD. But um, it's really just a, a beautiful, beautiful love story. It is uh, in Chinese, in Mandarin Chinese. Comes with a great short film called uh, Hair Tie Egg Homework Books mm. by the same director. Uh, no, actually, it's a different director. Sorry, Luo Rungxiao. It's a different director. I, I thought it was the same director. Anyway, no, this is just uh, this is a wonderful rural love story about a farmer and his wife and uh, their rural struggles. And it's, uh, you know, I, I haven't seen a Chinese film like this in a very, very long time. This is kind of almost fifth generation style filmmaking. So it's um, it's not concerned with, you know, technology and uh, Chinese economy and their place in the world. It's just it's gone back to that wonderful uh, poetic um, realism that was part of the fifth generation. So that's a that's a beautiful film called Return to Dust. Mm. We have Cinematic Sorceress, the films of Nina Menkes, great independent filmmaker who teaches here at uh is it Art Center where she teaches? Do you know? Yeah, not far from me. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but she's been for years, I mean, since the since the 70s, she's been, you know, a significant figure in uh, maybe 80s. I think it was the early 80s when she really kind of broke out. But anyway, a really significant figure in American independent film. And uh, this is a whole bunch of her films combined here. Uh, the Great Sadness of Zohara, Magdalena Viraga, Queen of Diamonds, The Bloody Child, all of these wonderful restorations of these films, and um, plus a lot of great extras, interviews with her and some of her collaborators, Q&As, audio commentaries on all four of the films, and uh, it's it's great. It's This is great American independent filmmaking, kind of, you know, she's been right at the forefront of it for the last 40 years, really nice compilation. Um, and then wrapping this out to with the newer films on the foreign front, Past Lives which I think all of us really love. Tim, you think this is going to have some uh, Academy Awards love? <laughs> oh, I think so. It's one of the ones that that uh, th- that, that everyone seems to be uh, really appreciating uh, uh, greatly. And it, it, is, it really is a beautiful film, Celine Song. Um, uh, a great a script. Film. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah uh, great film too. Um, um, uh, so, so a great script. I mean, the, the script is what I love about the film. It's a beautifully made film, but I love the story, uh, the subtle softness and subtle gentleness of this of this film. These people sort of reflecting on what things would be uh, on so friendship. It, on friendship. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, and then we also have uh, two of my favorite French films ever, the Marcel Pagnol novels My Father's Glory and My Mother's Castle, which were made into wonderful movies by Yves Robert, 
Um, gosh, it's been what twenty some twenty five years since uh, 19, oh, 19, yeah, over yeah. thirty years. That's how far back we're going. Um, wonderful. Uh, you know, basically came on the heels of uh, Jean de Florette, Manon of the Spring, mm. and they decided, well, let's do another twofer, and they made these, and I just cried because you know I lived in the area where Marcel Pagnol grew up. Some of this takes place in Marseille, Park Borley, which I used to walk every single day. So it's just, it's absolutely wonderful, wonderful pastoral family uh, drama, it, it, beautiful, beautiful scores, everything about this from film movement classics, just, I cannot rave enough about this. And they got some great extras on here. Um, I always love the setting of those films. The setting of those films were oh. before the wars, before both of yes, the wars, before the Great right. War and the other war. Right. And it was so, so, so the dynamic is, is because after the Great Wars, both of the wars, French cinema and, and, and the French landscape, all of it becomes different. It's it all changed. That You're it's right. all changed. It all changed. Yeah, it did. It, this was, this is a magical moment. It really is a magical moment. Anyway, uh, they've got a, a video essay by a, uh, a French literature professor at NYU here. They've got um, a featurette with the director, Yves Robert's son, uh, Jean Denis Robert, and, uh, and, and uh, grandson Martin Drescher and the cinematographer. They've got a little booklet in here with uh, some wonderful essays in it by Kat Ellinger, so, who does a lot of great commentaries too. And then lastly, we've got a couple of compilations here, uh, early short films of the French New Wave and... Um, Alain René, five short films. Mm. Um, you know, the, the French New Wave directors, they didn't just make great features, they made great short films. And the, the Alain René films are just as impenetrable as his features. Um, <laughs> but you don't have to sit through them quite so long. Uh, all kind of from the 1940s and, uh, and one from the 1950s. Um, Van Gogh is, I think, the arguably the best because it's, you know, it's Van Gogh. But there's some really interesting stuff in here. The Paul Gauguin short is nice, and uh, Guernica is really, really good too from 1949. And then the uh, the short early short films, the French New Wave, includes stuff from Agnès Varda, Truffaut, Godard, uh, Maurice Piala, who's not really a French New Wave director mm -hmm. necessarily, mm -hmm. uh, Jacques Rivette, and you know, Alain René again. Uh, two discs, a lot of great stuff on here. Uh, it's, it, you, know, it's, you know, a lot of those folks, we're, we're, we're just starting to lose a lot of those folks. Agnes Varda and, and Godard, what, two, three, four, five years ago, not terribly long yeah. ago. I think Alan, I think, I think, I think he was still around to the, to the early 2000s, maybe 2014, yeah. 15, something like that. He was, he did a thing. Um, uh, so these people are, are yeah. just about now starting to slip away. So they yeah. are indeed. It's very, yeah. very sad. It's very sad. Um, a few docs uh, I want to pump through as well, and then we'll jump into 4K and TV and everything else. Um, docs, real quick, we got a got a great thing on the story of uh, Don McLean's American Pie. It's called The Day the Music Died. Um, believe it or not, there's a lot to say about this, and uh, it's really worth checking out. Uh, Paramount Plus apparently funded this, and good for them because there's a whole MTV angle to it. But mm. I love that song. You know, um, my wife actually in college got extra credit in the class once for um they they on their on their final they were told you'll get extra credit if you can write down all the lyrics to american pie and she <laughs> and one of her classmates did it they did it they wrote the whole and that's a long that's like an eight minute song yeah yeah a lot of verses yeah. <laughs> that's crazy Anyway, crazy stuff. Um, Clerk, a documentary about Kevin Smith, who is now about 180 pounds lighter than he has ever been mm. before and, and healthier. 
Um, but what a really interesting uh, doc this is. You know, it's um, really interesting. Malcolm Ingram uh, directed this. He's done some, you know, small town gay bar is one of the one of the films that he's done. This is a, this is a solid two hour long documentary about Kevin Smith, his his whole it, and it's subtitled. It's it, you know, like the, the geek who would be king is kind of the the subtitle to it. Um, really just a fascinating life, more fascinating than I ever uh, thought it would be. Kevin Smith and Ingram both do a commentary on here. There's another commentary featuring the Stanley brothers, which mm. you'll understand if you watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, some uncut interviews and stuff on there. But the, the thing that comes out here is that Kevin Smith is a much more serious guy than I think anybody ever gave him credit for. Um, Mm. You know, I, my first exposure to Kevin Smith, and by the way, you can get this at mercantileinstinct.com. Um, mercantileinstinct.com is where you can get it. Um, my first exposure to Kevin Smith came in the 1992 Cannes Film Festival mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when Clerks was, you know, this grungy little low-budget American independent film that was entered in the um, uh, in in the in a sidebar section to the main competition festival which I think it ended up winning, but I, you know, you have these, these press boxes at can right in the palais and you go in and every day and you open it up and there's a bunch of crap in there that they put all the little press kits and come to this event and whatnot. It's just, it's, it's your mailbox for the duration of the festival. And it's usually filled with junk. And if you've got anything that you want to promote to the press, you, you give it to the palais people and they stick it in the press boxes. I'm sorting through all this. And here's a press conference. And the only reason it stuck out at me was, Clerks, it's an American film, independent film, and we will be having our press conference at the Monoprix uh, grocery store on the second floor. I'm like, what the second floor of a grocery store? What are you kidding me? <laughs> like, and so I go and I go in and sure enough, here's a market and everybody's shopping. And there's Kevin Smith and Scott Mosier, his producer, sitting <laughs> at a register, which is roped off while other registers check people out and the press are kind of shoehorned in there between customers with cameras. It was a mess. It was a press conference in the market, total publicity stunt. There you go. Hey, hey, look. First exposure to him. The, 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 and, and this, it, it, it's a really fun doc, you know, for film geeks like, 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 like us, but it's really interesting because this is about a, about a guy who came out of Red Bank, New Jersey, some little, little in New Jersey. Yeah. A video store period, that video store period, our period, you know, VHS yeah. and, you know, all that, all that stuff that's in clerks and, and figure out a way to penetrate, uh, the industry, you know, from that, from that point of view and never really, from that, from that actual physical space that he never really left. Kevin really never came to Hollywood uh, all day, every day. He was always sort of doing things. Mall rats was, you know, that, that, that mall is in Jersey. It's yeah. uh, all that. So that's a, the interesting thing about him. He's among those filmmakers who, who were able to do the stuff from places where him. Um, oh, I don't know. Uh, maybe. Um, uh, uh, um, who's the guy that works out of Baltimore? John Waters. Oh, John Waters. Yeah. They always worked out of Baltimore, you know, yeah. figured out a way to yeah. do it, but, but to maintain their spaces. Look, L.A., New York, Chicago, maybe, you know. Yeah. But these guys who just sort of like from nowhere decide to stake it out and do their thing. And a, and a measure of his success is all the people who show up in this movie <laughs> that are, you know, related to, uh, obviously, all the people who were in his films with all kinds of interesting people, including Stan Lee and Penn Jillette and, it's, it's, and, it you, you gain a real appreciation for him as not just as a filmmaker, but a person. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He gave a lot of folks breaks too, Kevin Smith. Good yeah, on him did. for that. Yes, yeah. he did. 
So other docs, uh, unstuffed the build a build a bear story. I don't need, I didn't even know about the build a bear phenomenon until I watched this. I'm like, this is weird. Uh, it just uh, the, the, this whole it, this was a full blown phenomenon. These you, custom teddy bear. It's just a weird thing. If you know about build a bear, the build a bear workshop. My goodness, what a very strange, ultimately totally American thing. Um, this is all about the building of that company and the phenomenon, which spans, you know, well over a generation. And a lot of interesting people show up in this thing, including, believe it or not, John Lovitz and Mario mm. Lopez. How and why they show up, you got to watch. Wait, dude, Jerry Mathers? I know, right? Mike Tyson? <laughs> Mike Tyson. <laughs> this movie. So, anyway, yeah. It's, 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 it's hilarious and weird and creepy at the same <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, we've got uh, the complete story of film by Mark Cousins, which is 18 hours. 18 hours. You got to really, really not just love movies, but you got to love the movies that he loves to sit mm. through this. Uh, mm. This includes two films. The story of film, an odyssey, and the story of film, a new generation. And uh, all, really, it's just personal essay stuff. He has mm -hmm. done an amazing job of editing together all of these things and these connections that he sees in the history of cinema. Um, some of it is really off the wall, and I don't know that I agree with it, but I, I, enjoyed, the, I enjoyed the journey. But, man, it is um, – it's, it's a lot. It's – it's 18 hours, man, on four discs. So set it on in the background, let it roll for a few days. Uh, <laughs> tune in when you, when you see something that you like. Um, uh, all man, the international mail story. I kind of was hoping this would be like international mail, like, you know, mail order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Them in. No, it's not. It's about the M A L E. Uh, this is, uh, th this is uh, the story of the catalog mm -hmm. um, international mail. And uh, which was a big thing in the 70s and 80s. 70s, yeah, right. uh, it, was, it was a big thing I, I use as a double entendre. Um, it, it sort of emphasized a very <laughs> particular kind of masculinity that mm -hmm. is sort of laughed at now. It's the Chippendales kind of masculinity. And it, that came and went. Might make a comeback. Let's hope not. But anyway, the, uh, it's a really interesting story. International Mail is a magazine. Really interesting story. Mm -hmm. uh, Nuclear Now is a uh, documentary. Oliver Stone uh, directed this, which is all about reconsidering nuclear power. And it's not exactly the kind of film that I would have expected Oliver Stone to get behind. But it, the angle is, you know, with respect to climate change and cleaner nuclear and, mm -hmm. you know, safer nuclear technology, a lot less yeah. waste. Yeah. 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 So uh, really uh, kind of an eye opener and again, a good conversation starter. Um, Yogi Berra, It Ain't Over is wonderful, is wonderful. Um, you learn so much about Yogi Berra in this. And yes, it's got all of his funny stuff. His family is, you know, all over this thing. And you get all kinds of great stories about the Yogi Berraisms and all that. But what you also learn is um, the relationship between Yogi Berra and Jackie Robinson, which is so special. And was he out? Was he not out? The famous tagging at home. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's a, and Yogi swears I, he was out. I tagged him. I mean, it's a great little, it's a great little bit in a, in an overall wonderful movie about a fascinating guy who was, you know, look, I, I'm not a baseball fan. I didn't know he was like, in addition to just being a guy who said weird, funny stuff and showing up on commercials. I didn't realize he is literally like the most legendary catcher in the history of the game.
Oh, yeah. I didn't know you could be legendary as a catcher. As long as you catch the thing. But no, man, catchers are a big deal. Uh, Yogi Bear was the guy that figured out. Yogi Bear was the guy that figured out how to throw people out. Yeah. Uh, 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 first of all, he was fearless. Uh, he, he's ten World Series rings. This guy. I know. Isn't that unbelievable? That's 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 uh, that's unbelievable. I was always too afraid to be a catcher. Yeah. Yeah. The life and times of Allen Ginsberg. I mean, mm. what else are you going to say? Yeah. Allen Ginsberg is like an archetypal figure from the '60s, counterculture figure. Um, you know, writer, activist, all poet, all of that stuff. And um, this does a very good job of distilling an enormously significant life, whether you love him or hate him. And a lot mm. of people love him and a lot of people hate him. Mm. Um, it takes, uh, you know, a good three quarters of a century of uh, of history and centering around this guy. And it distills it into a, a very, very strong film. Um, and incredibly, it's a short film. It's 84 minutes. It's, it, it just blows by, but this was made in 1999 and, uh, it is still super strong. It is out on DVD directed by Jerry Aronson. And you, mm. all, you get, uh, you get a second disc on this two disc set, which has tons and tons of extras as well to supplement the historical perspective. It's great. Also really good, even though our friend Ray hates it and has given me no end of grief uh, for liking it, <laughs> is The Storms of Jeremy Thomas by Mark Cousins. Jeremy Thomas, you know, uh, Jeremy Thomas's dad and uncle were both uh, filmmakers. His uncle did all of the um, uh, the uh, uh, carry on films. Mm-hmm. And uh, which are, you know, just a huge legendary franchise, the greatest franchise in British uh, comedy history. And Jeremy Thomas grew up in the business and became a producer. But he's an he's an art. I mean, making artistic films was his thing. He won an Oscar for The Last Emperor, but he has done so many other significant films that it's, you know, Cronenberg's uh, Crash and Nicholas Rogue's Bad Timing. And, um, you know, a lot of a lot of just amazing films with, with amazing filmmakers that otherwise wouldn't have had a chance to get made. And uh, that's where he poured his passion. And this is Jeremy Thomas is getting on in years and Mark Cousins and Jared Thomas get they hop in a car together and on their way to the driving to the Cannes Film Festival. And he pieces that road trip together with clips from the films and interesting observations. And I just loved the journey. I love yeah. the journey. In recent years, he's, he, he's, he was an executive on EO, that movie about the donkey. Uh, yeah. Was yeah, that yeah, last right. year? You're, 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 you're too We're going to talk about that in a minute, too, because that's yeah. on Blu-ray with us this week. Yeah. yeah. So he's yeah, he's up there, but still swinging. He's still swinging. Uh, and then, uh, you know, do, do you like Filipino food? If so, you're going to love Ulam main dish. Uh, it's uh, I've never didn't really we don't have, you know, we have like Los Angeles has a huge population of, of people from the Philippines. Filipino mm-hmm. population there is huge. They're great. They're very deeply in elder care. All the elder care facilities here are run by Filipino families. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of Filipino restaurants, though. No, Notice no. that. No, yeah, no, I know it's absolutely true. You know, when you compare them from 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 other cultures from that yeah. portion of the country and the restaurants and the yeah. food culture that's represented back here, not a lot of Filipino restaurants. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought this was fascinating, and apparently it's it's starting to have a rise, and and it's going to make a make a bit of a thing. But no, this this uh, this is one of those movies that makes you hungry, kind of like yeah. the French film, you know, the taste of things, the taste of things, uh, right. or eat, drink, man, woman. I, I don't see it on an empty stomach. But uh, it's 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 quite good. Um, I'm probably the only person uh, listening to this podcast or involved in it who cares about this. But Lionesses, How Football Came Home, wonderful Blu-ray documentary on uh, the uh, English 
women's national soccer team, which finally they two years or uh, two years ago they won the uh, the Euro and which was the first major championship for British national team since the men won in 1966. And this year they made it to the finals. They lost to Spain, but what a mm. great showing! What mm. a great showing! Uh, you know, as long as my my U.S. women are disappointing me, and my French girls and my Dutch girls are disappointing me, I'm gonna I'm gonna hang on to my English girls. Uh, they're a great team. They're just an absolutely great team. And this was, um, you know, so, some of these. I mean, Mary Earps, the the, the goalkeeper, is just spectacular. Um, so many other great players on this team. I really enjoyed it. And then lastly, the great uh, Fog of War is out on Blu-ray uh, mm-hmm. from Sony Pictures Classics. The uh, Robert McNamara sits down and talks to Errol Morris about Vietnam and every other damn thing. And it is uh, kind of bone chilling and fascinating at the same time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And again, these these are really interesting figures um, uh, who are who are sort of drifting away um, yeah. uh, and, and, and context is context is a hell of a thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, and um, yeah, the fog of war, of course, you know, many people have taken uh, that term uh, to task. Many people take uh, Robert McNamara to task. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but it is an interesting way to see how when this group of people came into government, the, the McNamara's of the world, but yeah. who were really from a previous generation, they brought into government um, the, the knowledge of statistics and accounting. Yep. And uh, amateurization, and they started thinking about war in these terms and how how the, the numbers of things, um, uh, yeah, 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 acceptable losses, these sort of things uh, started to become yeah. cal- calculatable, and yeah. that's what what uh, Robert uh, McNamara is talking about in this film, and it's really sort of striking. Very, very true. Uh, so we got TV, we got 4K, we got new movies, old movies. Uh, what do we move on to here? Well, let's let's do a little bit of TV because I've been watching. Yeah, um, um, a, a lot of TV. We can start wherever you want to start. <clears throat> well, but, I'm, but it let's, blows let's, me away that NCIS, <laughs> NCIS, twentieth the twentieth season. <sighs> Of, 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 of 20 years. These shows just go forever now. You remember when it used to be that like, oh, my gosh, why five? Oh, we went for 12 seasons, like double digits. Most most series ended at three, four five years. And I can remember when if you pull three, if you pulled a three season run, you were the happiest human being in television because a three season run meant that you would get probably five, 10, 15 years of residuals. Yeah. On a twenty-season run, you're set for life, um, uh, and and you know, and probably oh, so. It's it's an amazing thing. Anyway, NCIS two thousand three. Uh, of course, we we recently lost uh, what David McCollum. Uh, he yeah. was that, he, yeah. he was yeah. That's this. This is David's show, right? Yeah, yeah I got I, 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 yeah. I got him on the right show because you know it's hard to get to. And they, <laughs> they cross and they cross over in this season too, right? They bring yeah. bring the NCIS Hawaii people in, and you know, so they're they're cross. They're doing the Law and Order thing, and that's kind yeah. of it. Was <coughs> CSI started this trend? Then Dick Wolf took it to another degree with Law and Order. Um, and then NCIS gets in on the game and, uh, uh, the, you know, all the Chicago shows have gotten in on the game and, you know, mm-hmm. which is also Dick Wolf. So, mm-hmm. you know, it just it just keeps on rolling. That's a, it's an amazing thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, anyway, there it is. 20, 20 years. My goodness. Heavens to Betsy. Uh, the, also, Fatal Attraction season one. How do you I mean, Joshua Jackson, Lizzie Kaplan, two actors that I like. But how do you turn this into a series? Isn't the it, whole 
I mean, doesn't it? Doesn't the fatal attraction get old at a certain point? Well, and, and I got to tell you, we know how the we, have, we know how the movie ends. I know. <laughs> so you know, uh, uh, but it sort of frames itself in the same way that 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 nineteen eighty seven movie uh, with uh, with Michael and uh, and uh, and Glenn Close and Anne Archer is framed up like that, and then it sort of sort of moves along. But uh, yeah, it's a good question. Plus, I gotta I gotta say. You know, fatal attraction. If you say fatal attraction to someone who's of a certain age, who's not of a certain yes. age, our age, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it doesn't mean anything. At least it's, it's not a reference. To us, the word fatal attraction, the phrase fatal attraction is a direct yeah. reference to that movie that Adrian exactly. liked. A always. direct reference, always. I'm not sure that's true of, you know, somebody who's 30 or whatever. That probably, you're probably right. Um, got a couple of showtimes here, a couple of showtime series back to life season two and, um, season. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Uh, no, we got back to life seasons one and two, and then I got a couple of hallmarks. Ah, that's what I get for not wearing my glasses. Uh, so back to life season one and two. Um, I, uh, that, that, that's the one from Daisy, Daisy Haggard. That, that's about the, the, the chick who was in jail. Is that the, yeah, the, exactly. I think the right thing? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, scene. yeah. She's, you know, uh, coming back to life out of it, you know, coming out of prison. I think what's what's and I didn't watch this when it, you know, first aired or anything. So I'm kind of, you know, coming at coming at it late. I think the I think it's a really interesting idea uh, to look at a woman integrating back into society after a lengthy prison term. Not something we talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there's enough here to necessarily sustain uh, an ongoing series. That's the thing. See, the season two episodes seem to be wearing a little thin, a little little repetitive. Nicely written and acted, though. I just uh, it feels like they're squeezing the turnip a little. What bit. I liked about it is that it's a comedy. I mean, it's not like yeah. it's not like it's not like a laugh track comedy. Yeah, but, it, but, it's, it's, but it's, it's like it's not heavy. It's not it's meant like to weigh down exposure. It's yeah, they're exposurey. Yeah, yeah there's drama. Like, sure, there's drama. You know, but just there's, there's, there's plenty of chuckles uh, and 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 flat out belly laughs in that show. Yeah. I, that's what I liked about it. Don't don't take it too serious, folks. Couple a couple of uh, Hallmark original uh, Hallmark Channel original movies here as well. Uh, Eat, play, love, and uh, sun, sand, and romance. Uh, if you have ever seen a Hallmark original movie, so this is this is what they're like. They're basically like Lifetime original movies, except <laughs> you occasionally go to church. Is that, is that good? Oh, absolutely. Good? Okay. Yeah, and and in this one, like in most of them, I'm sorry. There's always going to be at least one veterinarian. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's you got to spend some time. But and dude, Lee Majors is in this one. Yeah. And I'm 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 good with anything that's got that's got Lee Majors just doing anything. And, 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 Lindsay, and, and Lindsay Wagner, so the six million dollar man and the six million dollar woman. So you know, I just, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. That's and 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 uh, that's the only thing that really. Um, made it worth watching it's like oh my goodness uh, and then it made me want to turn it off and go watch some old episodes only in the other order the bionic woman the i will tell order. you this though when you consider that you know when you look at the two of them you go okay lee majors you're looking pretty good for your age i mean he's mm-hmm. like 80 now isn't he he's gonna mm-hmm. be like 80 mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you look at Lindsay and you go girl you haven't aged what have you done you're amazing he's so beautiful it's just ridiculous how great she was and and lee Lee had a moment there in like the uh i'll call it the late 90s early early 2000s where he kind of let it go a little bit but interestingly pulled it back together in the later years he's tightened it all up and got it all back i'm like look at lee Uh, 
That's Eat, Play, Love. And then the other one, uh, Sun, Sand, and Romance, it does not have Lee Majors or, or uh, Lindsay Wagner. Uh, it all takes place at a summer resort and, you know, it's whatever. It's a, it, it, it's fine. It's gooey. It's, you know, it is what it is. Um, so we talked also about uh, uh, Chicago, CSI. CSI Vegas is in season two. There's not mm-hmm. really a ton to share there. It's just CSI stuff. And then there's casinos in it. Um and then Chicago Med is in its eighth season. I mm. truly can't believe how long some of these shows run. The best thing about Chicago Med is Oliver Platt, man. Yeah. He just, the guy, I'd like to see him do features again, but he is so good in everything he does. He just brings that gravitas. Yeah. And, and as you say, you know, Oliver was that guy in features all through the 90s who was, you know, you know, not the pretty guy, not the handsome guy, but the guy that held the weight uh, yeah. that, that put the weight in those scenes uh, in a bunch of big ass movies, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, Julia Roberts and uh, yeah. Kiefer Sutherland. And what was that one where they were all dead? Yeah. Flatliners, you know, Flatliners. Oliver, yeah. Oliver, Oliver held that movie down. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, big night. Sherman, Sherman, big night. Sherman was in a really great movie with Oliver, our, our buddy Sherman Augustus, yeah. called Zigzag. Uh, it, it was a really, really good film. Uh, it, it's a little bitty film, independent film, but it was fantastic. And Oliver was amazing in that film. Got a couple of things from the History Channel here. We got the Presidential Legacy Collection, uh, which focuses on Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Theodore Roosevelt. And uh, this is Doris Kearns Goodwin's the is is the the anchor for all of this stuff. Mm. Uh, she you know produced this and and basically oversaw it. She kind of godfathered it, and uh, along with Bradley Cooper. And mm. these are um, these are some really interesting miniseries that uh, get in. You know, people don't necessarily understand how the two Roosevelt presidents were related. They just know they had the same Dutch name. That is explored, uh, but each of these things really stands on its own. They're about four hours long, each one of them. It's a real investment, but um, it's utterly fascinating. I mean, uh, you know, kind of docudrama stuff and uh, recreations and a lot of fascinating uh, historical anecdotes that I had no idea about. Hmm. Um, Really, really good scholarly stuff. So I, you know, if you can invest the time in each, it's eight hours between the two. Also from History Channel is Brothers in Arms, which is two films, World War II in HD and Vietnam in HD, uh, all about, uh, you know, those two wars, soldiers, a lot of amazing archival footage. Mm. I mean, you know, really great stuff. I've seen so much of it, and yet there's still more that I just had no idea about. The The World War II one is uh, seven and a half hours, and the Vietnam one is almost five hours. So, again, mm. a real investment there uh, and a lot of war and a lot of gore to deal with. But it's it's really worth the investment. It's great, great documentary filmmaking. Yeah. Yellow Jacket season two, uh, mm. also on Showtime. I don't know, man. Um, I Look, the first season, I, I really deeply appreciate it. Uh, of Yellow Jackets, uh, and it becomes actually it was the story that I deeply appreciated, sort of the way it was structured. But I've always thought that this is this is a story, uh, for a movie or certain or perhaps a limited series, like because, a, like a this, female stand by me, yeah, kind of a thing, right? Yeah, yeah. But we got to get to an end of this thing because this thing happened. You know, it's about these these women that had this event when they're children, when they're young, yeah. and then and we go sort of back and forth between you know their sort of present day and and and, and that thing that happened when they were young but somewhere along the line you got to get to an end of this story yeah yeah i know I, i'm a big melanie, melanie linsky fan i just and, and she's great and she's yeah. really really great she is 
uh poker face season one uh which is uh, i had didn't even know this existed another paramount show um starring natasha leone who's yeah. do, like i thought she was still on another show and now she's on poker face and she just bounces from shows and back to back and forth yeah. um ryan, ryan ryan johnson if i'm not mistaken Yes, indeed. Uh, and uh, she's uh, she basically plays a, a cocktail waitress who is uh, also a detective. Mm-hmm. I, you know, go figure it. To, you know, I, I guess anybody can be a detective these days. But it has a it has a kind of a nice 70s vibe to it. Kind of a I don't uh, you know, a, like the, the, the semi rural out and about background uh, kind of somewhere between rural and urban America. It just feels, I don't know, feels 70s to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Even, 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 even the cars. He's driving around in, the, in like, a, like a 67 Barracuda. <laughs> you get through this town. And, and I like some of the folks. I, 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 like, I like Natasha, of course, but you got Benjamin Bratt uh, roaming around this thing, which I, I like a lot. You know, the, the yeah, people like that. Um, Adrian Brody pops up here and there. Uh, you got Ron Perlman and Nick Nolte popping up here and there. And Judith Light from that old uh, Tony Danza show. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, it, 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 these people are from the 70s and 80s and 90s and they pop up in the sh- in, but they don't bring their personas with them and yeah. they come and they play these characters and I just Tim Blake Nelson little real I just I really Tim Meadows you just never know who the hell is going to pop up in one of these shows and I really dig that um, you know Kiefer Sutherland uh, stepped away from 24 for a while and then apparently had the itch to play like a spy again so uh comes back for rabbit hole which is in its you know first season here uh on dvd uh not 24 though and it feels Mm. like it's trying to be 24 without being 24 um i don't know it's it it, it, part of the problem is it's it's not like straight uh, straight espionage it's it's um uh, corporate espionage, mm-hmm. and that just isn't quite as interesting, I, I don't think. But I don't mm-hmm. know. You tell me. What do you think? Well, I think this is mostly Kiefer wanting to look cool and walk around with the gun. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, so they so they yeah. so they built a show for him. So that's what that yeah. is. Yeah. Oh well. Uh, South Park: The Streaming Wars. Couple of special uh, South Park events here: The Streaming Wars and Streaming Wars Part Two. It's South Park. They're just making fun of streaming. That's, I mean, in, in a very, very funny way. Uh, I'm surprised they made a separate Blu-ray release for those. But, you know, if, if you're a completist, go dig it up. Uh, we get Picard, the complete series. Mm-hmm. Seven hours of special features tacked on to the this very uh, uninteresting show that never should have been made, I think. But I don't know, Tim. You're well, much more forgiving. You have of things of things Star Trek uh, and, and a Picard. Absolutely, want me a Picard? Wasn't the Picard more or less framed as this one? This is set around the destruction of Romulus and some things like that. Now, what I what I liked about it is that John Luke is 95 years old in this series. Yeah. So they, they've done this math, for that matter. Uh, Patrick Stewart is damn 95 years old. I don't know. He's, he might be 80. He might be 80. He's younger than William Shatner, and he looks 30 years older. Yeah, he, 
it's that British thing. And, and, and so they sort of account for that. And I, and, I, and I like seeing a lot of these folks again, certainly Seven of Nine and all that kind of stuff. Now, the narrative, uh, the oh, actual oh. story, that that's the problem. That's the mess. The people, the stuff, the production value is all good. Unfortunately, it's just this really bad, bad, bad story. So for me, it was like watching several episodes, several bad episodes of Star Trek Next Gen. But I keep hoping that, you know, after after that, there will be several good episodes of for me, Next for me Gen. It was like, for me, it was like watching a daytime soap opera, except they're all wearing Romulan costumes. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, the, 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 Rom, the Romulan politics just gets so hokey at a certain point. They're all inspiring and conniving and speaking English to each other and being sexy and weird. And it's like, I, at a certain point, I'm like, you know, just stop it. This is like at least Klingon politics on when you would watch Deep Space Nine or you would watch, you know, uh, Next Gen. Klingon politics, they really went deep on. You know, they will like the language. You had to listen closely and go, I don't even know what the clethora of Clarong is, but <laughs> clearly articles, article five subsection, you know, quint is, clearly is important to the Klingons because they're devoting a lot to this. You know, like you, you bought into it, right? There was a thing. It was like the ancient lore. And here it's just like Romulans being, you know, conniving and sexy. And I can't, I can't, I just couldn't go there. Yeah, 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 yeah. I feel you. Uh, Titans, the ah. uh, Titans fourth and final season is out on mm-hmm. DVD. Um, I never really watched a lot of this show, but it's, I mean, it's, you know, it, they, they get the kids and, uh, you know, uh, Robin and Superboy and everybody else. And then, Somehow it, it, it all kind of feels young and sexy and, and um, what what they did for a long time with, with the WB and later with the uh, whatever they turned it into. Yeah, yeah, well, Gotham um, and all that. Stuff. I don't, this was uh, this is way too mystically, magically, and and you know we have the. It, it, I, I rather I, I would have preferred it if they had simply pulled characters straight from the this sort of universe. Yeah. Uh, what's this? The DC universe is Batman DC universe. It, 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 it is, and, and the thing is, this is peripheral to the Arrowverse, right? This yeah. is the one that doesn't doesn't tie into it. They kind of did their own thing. So it you got to kind of just leave it alone and accept a whole different universe. Yeah, to this yeah, during yeah. The and I, and I didn't like the universe. It was yeah. mystical, magical crap. So well, yeah. they've also they also got the complete series on Blu-ray. So what we got here is you know the fourth and final season on DVD, but also the complete series on Blu-ray, which comes with a ton of extras. Um, and I mean, my only gripe with this, and I have not watched it watched it religiously, is they 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 do that thing that they did on um, the uh, the other Arrowverse show. The uh, which one? They're, they're uh, on, uh, uh, traveling uh, ship. Uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Not Guardians of the Galaxy. Not Gar- no, uh, uh, League of Legends. Le- Legends. Legends of Legends something or other. Legends yeah. of Tomorrow. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. We'd see too much stuff. There, Legends there of Tomorrow, which is that they keep swapping people in and out. Oh yeah. You no, know, it's just it's it's too many to keep track of. But anyway, Ozzy and Harriet, uh, thir- seasons thirteen and fourteen. And you know what? What blew my mind with this was I used to watch Ozzy and Harriet reruns. Hmm. I never, but, but when I was watching Ozzy and Harriet reruns, we had a 13 inch black and white television. So I, and then once we got a color TV, well, and I was on to get smart and, you know, Batman and, uh, you know, the, yeah. a lot, a lot of, other, I never realized that a lot of those reruns that I was watching of Ozzy and Harriet on our 13 inch black and white TV were shot in color. Oh, really? The 14th season of Ozzy and Harriet is in color. 
I did not know that either. And we wouldn't have. And I and and, and, no. and so so Ozzy and here had ran about ten years. I think it started in fifty two. Ran yeah. fourteen years. It started in fifty two. So the last season so would have been sixty four, five, six, something like that. Sixty six, something like 66, that. 1966. Sixty six. So yeah, I guess we would have been right smack dab at that moment yeah. where in living color, you know, that's that it. thing that they did at the area. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 14 years, uh, 435 episodes and son of a gun, there's color here. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, wow, I know what Rick Nelson's skin tone is. That's, <laughs> this is kind of amazing. I mean, this is a revelation. I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea. So what, this is like watching this show for the first time. Mm. seen these color episodes and like some of these I'd seen, you know, many, many times as a kid. And I'm like, holy cow, this is a whole new way of seeing it. This just comes to life. And I almost feel guilty. It's almost like it's been colorized, <laughs> but, not. but not at the same time. Uh, so we also have the complete He-Man and Masters of the Universe yeah. series, which recently uh, this is three seasons, 26 episodes, never liked this show. This is the uh, second of the He-Man series here uh from television i never particularly cared for this at all but you know who cares about me um but as a, let's talk for a second about the live action version which just switched studios i think mm. netflix passed on it and somebody else just picked it up i i haven't i i literally saw that just the other day so what do we think about a live action um a live action uh, he-man which well, what I first of all, when you do. when you say live action He Man, uh, my mind does not go to anything modern. My mind goes directly to Dolph Lundgren, yeah, uh, exactly. and uh, and that uh, and that uh, that movies. The, the, I think Courtney Cox was in that movie well before her turn on Spins, and uh, yeah. one of my homies who's in uh, who's in Star Trek Voyager. I can't remember. He's he's the, he's the teenage boy in that movie. Yeah. Uh, 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 so so my mind goes there immediately. Now that notwithstanding, <laughs> a contemporary. He man, I don't know, man. Uh, uh, the, the cartoon series was never really my thing either. Um, uh, that 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 live action movie from the eighties was terrible. <laughs> it was terrible. Uh, uh, so I, I can't see. I would get there. Although you know what I loved in that movie, Skeletor was played by I'm going to say I think Jack Palance, maybe. Oh no, it was Frank Langella. Was it Frank Langella who played I think Skeletor? It was Frank Langella who played Skeletor. Yeah. And I just remember that 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 actor that yeah, yeah, he was great. Skeletor yeah. was 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 executed in that film. It's like he was in an entirely different film. I know, a, I know. a much a much better film. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but that's what I remember about that. What do you think about the the possibility of a new one? I just you know the my my number one problem with He Man is his haircut. I'll be honest. <laughs> that, that little it's, page boy. It's that page boy thing. And all I can think of is, uh, is, is, you know, Prince Valiant, uh, played by, uh, by Bob Wagner. That's all I can think of is, is, you know, it's just, I can't handle the page boy haircut. It kills me. It just kills me. I don't know who cooked that up, but, uh, it doesn't work for me. Uh, you know what the, so I, there, you, there was a moment where, uh, being like small people in a world of giants, basically actors working with oversized props was a mm. thing. Mm. I only know it from the Irwin Allen show land of the giants. Mm. I don't think I ever realized that there was a previous series called world of giants, mm. which, which Irwin Allen had nothing to do with, uh, 
And this is now out from Classic Flicks. This is from 1959, right? A lot of stuff mm-hmm. from the late 50s I didn't, you know, necessarily hook onto because the reruns didn't show up when I was a kid. Uh, but this is really interesting Cold War stuff. Mm. Do you know about this show? I did not know about this show. I mean, I like you, Land of the Giants, you know, all those little people in that spaceship and the giant. I love that show. All the props with, you know, yeah. the, the, the telephones, the pencils. Yeah. Well, they this, had to build. this is amazing. This has the same deal. But but this this is amazing. This was a very expensive show to make at the time. CBS made it. And the premise here is that there that um, these these people are on a secret mission into, you know, co- secret Cold War mission. And their rocket explodes and it shrinks um, this one guy played by Marshall Thompson, who was previously on Doctari. It shrinks him to just six inches in size and turns him into this like amazing spy. So he's like this little pint sized Thumbelina, Tom Thumb sized spy now. Right. And he works with uh, a partner who's full sized, played by Arthur Franz. And, you know, there are other it's, it basically if you imagine it's like Mission Impossible, if Martin Landau were were kind, were were were, uh, were like uh, were the were Ant-Man, right? If he were Ant-Man and he couldn't and he couldn't get to be uh, big again. Um, really very interesting. And it didn't last longer than a season, uh, only 13 episodes. And uh, I feel like. It, it, it should have had more because there's so much that it could do here. Gavin McLeod shows up on this thing. You know, it's really quite interesting. And uh, um, it's a it's a great artifact. And bravo to uh, Classic Flicks for yeah. bringing it back. Really. Yeah, 1959. Fabulous. The Boys is in season three. I know a lot of people love this thing. Amazon original superhero, dark superheroes, nasty superheroes mm. who are a little bit uh, nihilistic and, and uh, vain and uh, narcissistic. And uh, it's still a bit of a soap opera. It feels like, um, I don't know. What does it feel like, Tim? I don't, well, it, it is ridiculously sadistic and uh, counterculturals within the yeah. context of the Marvel and DC universes. Uh, and there's a there, there's a spinoff now called Gen V, which lives in the same space and, 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 and it connects with all these sort of same same characters. Um, I, it, it, it's, it's not something that I was particularly a big fan of, to be honest with you. You know, I get I get where, you know, uh, you know, transgression, transgressive starts, which yeah. probably love this. But I'm not a transgressive kind of guy. I like an actual hero. <laughs> I like my heroes to actually be heroes. Even yeah. the heroes in this show are anti. Carl Urban plays this guy. Who's, yeah. And he's the hero of the piece, relatively speaking, but he's really not. Yeah, I get you. I agree. Uh, a couple of uh, Paramount uh, series here as well. Uh, Wolfpack season one and mm. the great, the final season, which has now been canceled. And I know that um, there are some kind of wounded feelings uh, on the part of, uh, of uh, our, our actress here. Um, oh, uh, Elle Fanning. Elle Fanning. Uh, 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 yeah, she, she was, she was, uh, she said, she said some wounded uh, feelings about the fact that this has been now canceled and she doesn't get to sort of finish out the, the character's arc. Um, uh, here's the thing. This is also really, really not that historically accurate. It kind of, <laughs> not that historically accurate. It, not, not even remotely. <laughs> not uh, even remotely historically. You know, she's, so, she's playing Catherine. So uh, you, I, I would argue. I would argue that whatever arc you thought you were going to finish out is, is a completely fictitious arc that doesn't exist anywhere in the history. No. So you know, um, look. I mean, it had a good run. 
And I think it's going to do fine in reruns as a streaming show. But, you know, I mean, it's these these things like the Henry VIII thing with uh, Jonathan Rhys Myers, who is anything but like Henry VIII. I mean, you know, Jonathan Rhys Myers has a body mass like Henry VIII's thigh. It's, <laughs> it, 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 it's just it's ridiculous. So, you know, it, ah, they're fine. They're they're fine. Wolfpack season one, on the other hand, um, I don't know. Uh, it, That's a Sarah Michelle Galar, um, yeah. my, 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 my Buffy, the vampire slayer, who I still think of in, in that way. But yeah, the, I mean, I, as a as a survivor of multiple wildfires, I have a problem with the idea of using a wildfire uh, as a as a, a narrative device mm. to to trigger this kind of supernatural Buffy esque. Uh, saga i you know it's it's i mean it's it's werewolves not gonna yeah you know hide anything here that's giving it away but but did you get did you have to use a wildfire which has caused so much pain and agony to so many people that's that's a that's sort of like oh let's let's do a let's do holocaust and werewolves like, not to, <laughs> you know not to analogize it because a wildfire is not the holocaust but i mean i know a lot of people who lost their homes still haven't rebuilt after five yeah. years yeah. a lot of my daughter's friends lost everything that they had it's a lot of pain wrapped up in that don't use it as a narrative device i i particularly when it's not it's particularly useful as a narrative device it is a narrative device it's, it's a background thing that's going on yeah but but all it serves to do is to make the 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 story completely confusing. I I, I could not follow yeah, it does. what the hell was going on in this show at all. Yeah, uh, it, it was really really so. That's and a lot of it had to do with that background. Uh, getting close to the end here. Uh, For all mankind, season one. I had no idea this was a narrative show. I thought they were. I thought this was like the documentary for all mankind, right? That it was a, the history of the space program or something. Mm-hmm. And then I. I watched it. I'm like, oh, I see what you're doing. You're using the same title, but that's not what this is. This is, um, this is this, this is a an alternate history thing. Yes, right? yes, 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 uh, yes, yes. Yeah, it's an alternate history thing where you know the space race is ongoing, and you're you're now you've now turned it into a uh, an alternate history. Um, uh, a, a soap opera set in space yeah. with NASA and so forth. So I get yeah, it. the Soviets did this and we yeah. did that and all kinds of things yeah. happened. And now we're yeah. all doing all these people are on the moon doing the way what's going to be. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's a, you know, we'll see where it goes. Season one is kind of more of a setup, but I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, I'm sort of into it. It's nicely that good production value, really good mm. facts, terrific mm. effects. Um, and then coming back to South park, we got the 26th season. You know, I got to tell you 26th season, just like the 25th, just like the 24th, <laughs> this show, they, they, you know, they, they're still commenting and poking at everything in the culture. And they, according to Mark, who knows people on the show, they turn these things around in a couple of weeks. Which is so amazing they, because in 1990, whenever the hell that uh, it came seven, I think six yeah. or seven, uh, 26 seasons of what, something like that. The show, it was exactly the opposite, uh, which uh, it, it, somehow it became this expensive and very slow show to make, having to, yeah. to make, having to do with, you know, uh, animators in Korea, uh, South, and all kinds of things. And then, uh, which was interesting in and of itself, because, you know, Trey, Trey and Matt, you know, they, they made this, you know, basically uh, stick figure of this show that had been floating around on that VHS. And I'm sure you got a copy of way back in 90, yeah, whatever, yeah. like everybody else. And then over the years, it became this very expensive show that took a long time to make. And now, because the technology has changed so much, 
in the ensuing 20 plus years, yeah. uh, almost 30 years. It's, it's, it's a show that can be turned around almost instantaneously, uh, which is why they can put out so much material. That streaming one that you talked about, you know, uh, just yeah. a little bit while, and they can just spit it out, spit it out. But the content stays straight, great without losing uh, the quality. Uh, the the images and the animation, which was never you know special, um, is the same as it always was. So all you have to do is you know keep keep the content tight, and you can go on forever. Yep, there it is. Yeah. So I'm going to wrap out on a few more Hallmark things. So a lot of the Hallmark stuff comes from Canada. They make these movies in Canada with tax incentives. They're usually schmaltzy. They're good for Canadian TV, and then they sell them to Hallmark, and Hallmark mm-hmm. makes a killing. That's how it yeah. works. And yeah. Lee Major's thing with, with Lindsay Wagner, that's from Canada. And so are these next two, 14 Love Letters and Love Unleashed. Oh, my gosh. Wait a minute. Hallmark original movies with the word love in the title? How unusual <laughs> is that? What a strange thing. Um, so <laughs> Love Unleashed. <sighs> Cute girl. She has a puppy party. Guy comes over, adopts a puppy. They fall in love. There you go. Two people love each other and they love the puppy. Starter kid. There you go. Uh, there's nothing else to it. Hall- then from then, this is a Hallmark Movies and Mysteries original movie. The 14 Love Letters, which means that there's more to it than just romance. No, there's man. a mystery. And the mystery is who keeps writing these love letters and sticking them in her mailbox? Well, she's got to go find them. And of course, it turns out that it's this disgusting fat guy with no, with bad height. Oh, wait a minute. No, no, it's not actually. It's a really hot guy. Oh, he's really hot. He is. A, how often does it happen that you have a secret admirer and that secret admirer is not some disgusting basement dwelling stalker with mental illness? No, it's a really hot guy who could be a magazine model. Look, the director of that particular one is 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 a young woman named Amy Force, who I've met a few times. This is where I met Amy a long time okay. ago. Amy was an actress. Uh, uh, she's a young woman, a young girl actress. You're running around all those. Um, oh, I guess they were Disney and uh, yeah, they, they shows all this kind of stuff. You know, so Amy comes up, uh, and yeah, and, and she does she does her thing. She's in all those movies and stuff like that. She becomes like a a, a, a script continuity supervisor you know, uh-huh. she's doing, and, and sort of starts to work her way over onto the directing side she's directed at least five or six of these things if not more at this point yeah. uh and and has really built a real serious career as a filmmaker directing these directing these these you know, santa's got they, they, they do a lot of them do for it. christmas you know all the do christmas it. ones oh yeah uh and and i gotta tell you uh she gives a lot of folks work uh and and a lot of actors that you know show up in these things i'm not you know i i, I don't engage in a lot of this stuff but i have to i have to say to myself i have to ask myself is this this is a real thing these there are people making whole careers out of these movies acting in them writing them uh our, our buddy ray is is connected to a guy who works on a lot of these and, and it, it's so it's a thing and i'm gonna quit making so much fun of them that's what i'm gonna yeah, stop I, doing and, and i and i and i am making fun of them good-naturedly because they have their following yes absolutely things. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah we need some pick me up yeah yeah so uh, good work amy Got a couple of uh, Hallmark Channel original series here, uh, both of which are not bad. I got to be honest. Season one of both of them, The Way mm-hmm. Home, they're both multi-generational family sagas. That's what they have in, 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 in common. Uh, and The Way Home is uh, is is basically about, you know, it's a a, a matriarchal family. These these multi, these many generations of women um, and Andy McDowell kind of holds it down and is wonderful in it all the actresses are great some some good solid melodrama in here and uh you know grant harvey directed Mar- uh, marley reed wrote i think it's a uh, it's it's a good solid show mm-hmm. the one that i enjoyed 
is Ride, season one. So here's what Ride is. Take Yellowstone. <laughs> it's no longer set on a ranch. It's now a rodeo dynasty. Swap out Kevin Costner. Swap in Nancy Travis. Mm-hmm. Done. Oh, it's cut the budget by like 90%. Yeah, it's uh, a cheap thing. Go. It's a cheap show, yeah. but Nancy Travis is hotter than Kevin Costner. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah, yeah, you know, the, the McMurray's uh, uh, working on keeping that ranch going. I, I love it, man. I just love it. It's uh, I didn't know that there were rodeo dynasties, but I guess there are. <laughs> there are raisin dynasties, dude. <laughs> I know there are there are there are like almond dynasties. I thought there's like a fan an almond an almond family in California. There are billions. I'm like almonds, billions. <laughs> I don't even like almond milk. So there it is, friends. I guess whatever. Uh, shall we do the 4K? All right, baby. Let's do 4K. So we got. Um, all righty. We got three uh, steel books here, 4K steel books uh, from uh, Sony, Columbia, TriStar, that whole thing. And they're all really gorgeous. Uh, the steel books make everything better, obviously. But first of all, Black Hawk Down, Ridley Scott. OK, we were just ripping on him for Napoleon. Uh, Black Hawk Down, similar deal. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's ex- expertly made. Still looks great. The sound is phenomenal. I mean, truly crank up those speakers. This thing will just will soar. My only problem with Black Hawk Down, notwithstanding the fact that it's true story, and we all know that horrible story, and this is loaded with wonderful extras, real-life interview, audio commentaries, but real-life interviews and everything else. Um, the problem I have is I can't tell who's in this movie. Yeah, yeah. shot, they all look the same. I remember at the end when the credits were rolling, I was looking at everybody who's in this movie, and I'm like, what? Eric Bono was in this movie. <laughs> Which one was Eric? Bo- Eric Bo- wait, Ewan McGregor? Where, Ooh, where Josh Hartnett and no, wait, Tom Josh Spies Hartnett. Like, I didn't know. Wait, how are all these people in this movie? They all look the same. All, yeah. Their faces are all dirty. They're all wearing helmets. Somehow I confuse them all with each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very energetic film. But yeah, I can't. Yeah. Uh, I can't. I got to tell you. Uh, Rudy, we all love Rudy. True story. Mm-hmm. The guy never really was much of a football player, but he got on. He played that one game at Notre Dame, and that's all that really mattered. It's just like, you know, you got a small dream. You work hard to get it. Uh, Sean Astin's lovely in this movie. It's David Onspar, you know, uh, directed it. It's got a lovely uh, score by Jerry Goldsmith. Mm-hmm. It's a real favorite for a lot of people. Oh, yeah, yeah. The little John Favreau, Charles Dutton, you know, all these really wonderful guns of, yeah. and guns of Navarone, uh, which is way better than its terrible sequel with uh, Harrison Ford, uh, Force 10 from Navarone, which is just dreadful. Uh, <laughs> really just terrible. But no, guns of Navarone is a, is a good, solid job. Jay Lee Thompson, uh, uh, actioner, just, you know, one of those great World War II movies kind of from that 60s period, right, with Dirty Dozen and uh, Great Escape and all that. It kind of slots in there, right, with that. And on 4K, it's terrific. Mm-hmm. Great, great commentaries with Jay Lee Thompson and film historian uh, Stephen J. Rubin. Documentaries about the film, about the, you know, the real events and uh, and all that stuff. Behind the scenes featurettes. It's really, really great. So Look, j- j- young, youngish Richard Harris. Yeah. Uh, ridiculously young James Darren. Ridiculously young James Darren yes. in that film. He's like a baby or something in that film. And you know, and David Niven walking around that British that <laughs> with with that little mustache. Yeah, 
It's a it's a solid film. Yeah. Uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One, which shockingly to mm. me underperformed at the box office. I, here's here's my question. First of all, I think this movie's terrific. I love all the Mission Impossible movies except for JJ's. Actually, I don't like the mm. third one. I think it's mm. lame. But um, and the John Woo one is a little ridiculous. But I think they've been very very solid since they they uh, they're ridiculous. They make no sense. I don't care. I just I'm I'm all into my cruise. But uh, this is Dead Reckoning Part One. Mm. Some great female parts in this thing. I love how he how they use women in these. Patty and yeah. Oh, there's they're all Rebecca. so good. They're all so good. And um, and you know, Isai Morales is being set up as a hell of a bad guy for the for the next one. But here's what happened: because the first one underperformed, the the part two was supposed to be released next June. They pushed it to 2025. Mm. Now, did that have anything to do with the strike, or was it simply about the underperformance? I think it's both. Mm. I think they're concerned that this thing underperformed. They want to give people a little time to discover this, to let it breathe, and to reconstruct what they did wrong in the marketing the first time. I think part of it was because Tom and the and the cast were were doing these big premieres all over the world with fireworks. They went to Paris. They went to Dubai, to New York, to Sydney. Right? They were doing. They they did like a dozen different premieres around the world. But they did them two weeks before the movie opened because they knew the strike was coming. Mm. And I think once the strike hit, they couldn't do what usually helps these films maintain legs, which is do the do the talk show circuit, do the PR circuit after the movie is opened or right the week of mm-hmm. to get people into it. If you're doing all these premieres two weeks before the movie, that's a long time in a movie life. Two weeks. Two weeks later, the movie opens. Nobody's on a talk show. There are no talk shows. Nobody's doing any kind of press. It's really hard. Yeah, yeah. The notion probably is that they, they would be able to push it. Look, um, I like this movie a lot, but I but I will I will say uh, one thing about it. In a number of the Mission Impossible films, and I and I and I and I may have been you may have uh, you may have brought this to my mind. Maybe it was Mark or Alan, but this is an action film. Yeah, um, Mission Impossible was not an action series. No, the series was not. No, that's right. It was an espionage series. And and the first movie was an espionage movie with an action sequence. And little by little, that has um, changed. It has swapped in these films. They're almost almost all action films, fully action, with very little, quote-unquote, espionage going on. That's why I think at a certain point, when Tom Cruise is done with the series, there's a great opportunity to reinvent it along the lines of what Soderbergh did with the with the the Ocean's 11, 12, 13 mm. films. Right. Those are not action. Those are all about the the the, the trickery of the the, the scam, the heist, yeah, the heist, the heist yeah. you know, people in disguise and in the costumes and doing this and that and the other thing. And, and there's a there's a great energy to those films. I think that's where Mission Impossible can go once Tom Cruise checks out, which I think yeah. is after after this uh, this this last chapter of Dead Reckoning. Hmm. Anyway, some good extras on here, great stunts. But to be honest, I would almost and a good commentary with Christopher McQuarrie and uh, and the editor. But I would almost wait until Dead Reckoning two comes out in twenty twenty five, and then get the two in a single nice big splashy set. I uh, got a f- Best Buy exclusive steelbook packaging, 50th anniversary, final cut release of The Wicker Man. Mm. Uh, I don't know if The Wicker Man, after 50 years, deserves this treatment, a Best Buy exclusive in a steelbook on 4K. 
because it is really just basically a, a horror film of the era. It's still kind of Rosemary's Baby, yeah. light, you know, you know, I mean, look, it's it is. It's the original. Uh, I, I can't stand what's the what's the guy's name who did the the freaking uh, three hour walking Phoenix horror thing where he's he and his mom. Oh, uh, Ari Aster. Yeah, yeah. Ari Aster is so far up his own unit. I, it drives me crazy. You know, like <laughs> I am not a fan of Midsom Midsomar. Midsomar. Ooh, no. <laughs> but that's basically still the Wicker Man. It is Midsomar is the Wicker Man. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and 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 uh, look, there's Edward Woodard, uh, yeah. who of course would go on to play um, the Equalizer on television, yeah. uh, and, and Christopher Lee. There's a certain sort of say, it, it's gorgeous. There is that big bonfire that probably um, yeah. uh, reveals itself in, in those really sort of neat costumes that they would wear. But I don't know that all of that calls for uh, you know 4K. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it's. Um it's it's still considered a classic, but I mean, I don't know if it deserves this treatment. I enjoy it, but not not that much. Uh, Bronx Tale on 4K, 30th mm. anniversary. Can't believe it's been 30 years. Wow. Making, I know, right? Chess Palminteri, it was uh, originally a play, uh, and um, he adapted it into a film, and Robert De Niro directed it. And, uh, you know, I mean, it, it works. It still feels like a play. Um, it's still one of those Goodfellas movies. It's still in that uh, Scorsese, Coppola, you know, gangstery genre. Um, a little bit light, but honestly, I I still think I think the film still has some really good stuff in it. It's got some good writing. Chas Palminteri's, uh, you know, his it's his high point, his career high point, and I think um, it's worth checking out. I don't know if it's four yeah. K worthy. I don't know if it's four K worthy, but. There it is. Yeah, yeah, no, De Niro did a good job on that. And that kid, Lil, Lilo, I think it was his name, Brancato, is the kid that plays uh, De Niro's. De Niro's in that movie. People forget yeah. De Niro's actually in that movie. He plays the dad because a lot of people thought that De Niro should have played the jazz parliamentary part, yeah, Sonny yeah, or whatever his name is. No, 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 no. He, he chose the exact right thing to do, particularly since he was directing. Play the smaller part. Play the dad. If he plays the other guy, then he's, you know, he, he, would, he would dominate the entire film. Exactly. And, and the film is really about the kid. Yes, precisely. Uh, let's talk a little DC stuff here. So we've got uh, Justice League and RWBY Superheroes and Huntsman Part Two. We covered this in Part One. The the, the, the this is no better. Uh, it's just really mercenary to combine those two worlds. That's just fanboy hell. Mm. But let's talk about Blue Beetle because everybody really tried to make this movie succeed mm. yeah. and it did not. It tanked and it yeah. tanked hard. And uh, on the heels of the Flash tanking it's really put the adam and black adam dc world in a bind which I is mean, they, you know just all of that yeah man mm. so so um you know the people tried to make a thing well it's the first latino superhero and i don't you know that you still gotta have a good movie man uh, yeah, um, it's narrative it's a narrative problem here we got a story problem here uh and 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 all, everything else the same but this story is 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 is, is not captivating it is a minor dc hero it's not a significant thing uh the nun 2 did we need a sequel to the nun uh, i don't think so no uh i mean it's 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 ongoing from the conjuring universe they're, mm -hmm. they're trying to turn that into a universe and i look i 
I love her. I think she's uh, uh, Farmiga uh, Tessa. I think Tessa yeah, Farmiga, yeah, yeah. Farmiga's younger sister, who of course plays the young version of her in the Conjuring universe and and things like that. I think that's it's perfectly lovely, but uh, I don't know if we needed a second one yeah. of these. It's good to have a big sister who's a movie star. <laughs> it sure is. Who, who you big look family. slightly like. <laughs> so you and, know, they, and they're like 20 years apart. Yeah. yeah in age, yeah. you know. She played, her, she played her. She played Vera's daughter in a movie some 10, five or 10 years ago. Was, but it was perfectly believable. And I kept thinking that she was Vera's daughter. And I had to be corrected uh, that, no, that's her, that's her she's little also sister. On the, she's also on the Gilded Age, which is, yeah. she's wonderful on the Gilded yeah, Age. Yes, she is. Too. She really is. Uh, Mortal Kombat Legends, Cage no, Animated. No. No, that's as much as we're going to say about that. It's on 4K. Meg to the trench because (laughs) because we needed this. (laughs) Well, here's the thing about this terrible movie. This terrible movie cracked me up. I'm not going to say this. I had to see this for the radio show. It's it's, it's a terrible movie. Uh, It cracked me up. It's plainly obvious that this movie is not really constructed for the uh, North American market. Uh, If you look at this movie, (laughs) you see all of these Chinese movie stars running around. And then then Jason Statham, uh, you're like, Oh, (laughs) I see what's going on here, which is fine, but it was terrible, but it did make it was funny. I, uh, you know, it's uh, the fact that somebody said, hey, let's just remake Jaws, except let's make the let's make the shark like 900 times bigger and pretend that it's prehistoric. Everything Um, in this movie gets eaten by something a little bit bigger. (laughs) (laughs) So they show you a thing get eaten and then they show you something to eat that thing. And then they show you something to eat that thing. And I suppose that's the point of the film. It's really good 4K. That's what I can tell you about. It's yeah. it's it's really nice to put on in the background there. I am of course saving the 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 best for last here for anybody who might be wondering why aren't you getting to just you'll you will get there. Um, uh, another steel book that we have Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, oh, yeah. which is a film that I suspect Tim and I are quite fond of, and nobody oh, yeah. else is. You know this this film came out at a very opportune moment. It's that it's that it's a period when we're we're kind of stitching the seventies to the eighties. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's mid eighties. It's 85, but it still has a foot in Xanadu. It still has like one foot in Xanadu and one foot in, thank God it's Friday and maybe a couple of feet in the whiz. I don't know. Yeah. It's going to say a little bit, a little bit of, uh, that, uh, just sort of, sort of left Michael Schultz, yeah. of course, directing, uh, uh, vanity, uh, you know, vanity from vanity six, but yeah. you know, vanity in, in the film. And, and of course, the barge Mac- is in this the barge. <laughs> How many people younger than you and I even know what the barge is? There's a whole family of them. Oh, folks. Whole family. <laughs> the barge, El the barge, man, that guy. And that Ernie, guy. Ernie Reyes Jr who had the fastest, he played tight. He had the yeah. fastest feet. Uh, uh, you remember Ernie? Ernie was yeah. a bad guy. Ernie was a bad guy. Ernie's got to be 50 now. I say Ernie. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if they're in, in Julius Carey and show enough. He was show enough. It, it was, it, yes, I'm sorry. I love this film. The uh, whole yeah. it, It's a great film. The whole thing is Barry Gordy just said, I'm going to combine all the things I love, which is martial arts and soul and <laughs> disco and R&B and, you know, we're just going to we're going to we're going to Motown and sparkle up the martial arts and we're going to make a movie called The Last Dragon. And it, oh, just, yeah. it is a it is quite a thing. I It, it really is. Um, I, I have a lot of fun with it. I think it's a great artifact. The fact that it's on 4K tickles me to no end. 
Uh, well, no it's a bright and punchy movie. It really is. I mean, a lot, you know, a lot of primary colors in this movie. Yes. And, uh, and, 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 you know, vanity, dude. Vanity's in the I know, it. right? Uh, Stephen King's The Mist, 4K Collector's oh, yeah. Edition, Best Buy exclusive, also steelbook packaging with a plastic sleeve. They went to town. I just don't think The Mist is remembered. Um, this was kind of a, 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 mm. a Frank Darabont laid an egg with this a little bit. I, I never cared for this film. Now, there are fans of Stephen King. In yeah. Stephen King films with Stephen King, who are nuts about this, uh, you know, Thomas Jane and Marsha Gay and all, yeah. everybody in this movie, and these in the, inside that supermarket and something's in the mist and, and it's out there and they go out and it, it, it of course has that sort of particular ending that it has. Yes. Which was really what bugged me about it. You know, I did that, uh, you know. It, it was an interesting, almost twelve angry men sort of thing when they're all trapped in the supermarket, uh, and then it sort it's of evolves. Frank, Frank Darabont is an expert filmmaker, even when he's not really on his game. And he can't, you know, he had come out of uh, doing Shawshank and Green Mile and all this stuff for for features, and and he tried to bring a lot of that juice to to this thing. And it is, and I'll tell you, in four K, it looks better than it's ever looked before. It really is. Mm. It's a it's a beautifully mastered, beautifully reconceived thing. I think they did a lot of work on the color and the, certainly remixed it but i it just still kind of misses the mark for me or missed the mark mm. <laughs> uh, yeah so uh and we're getting down to the last three here the two the two best of the last talk to me mm. 4k um uh, a hands-down horror classic clark collis entertainment weekly no i don't think so mm. i i disagree with that poll quote um it's it, it, it's a you know basically they it's like Ouija remember Ouija mm-hmm. Ouija board it's mm-hmm. that except they have they they do away with the Ouija board and they bring up this embalmed hand hand which you know just brings the ghosts uh, hard and uh, everybody screams and bad things happen and it's uh it's kind of formulaic but it's it's respectable formulaic I guess it's not embarrassingly bad and that's mm. maybe the best thing I can say about it. No, there was, um, what are those brothers named Danny and Michael Philippou or something like that? Those, the, the, yeah, the, yeah, the, the, yeah, the Philippou, yes, uh, Danny and Michael Philippou brothers. Yeah, 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 they do a commentary. I didn't listen. Yeah. Um, the the late uh, great Jean Luc Godard made his greatest film in Contempt, otherwise known in French as Le mm. Mépris, mm. which is now out on 4K, the first 4K of a Godard film. Can I emphasize that? Wow, this is a Godard film on 4K. It's been out before on uh, Blu-ray, and you can get uh, from Lionsgate a package that also includes the Blu-ray, or you could just get the standalone 4K. So it depends if you, you know, you have a Blu-ray player and you want to be able to play it. Otherwise, the 4K only has a 4K disc. That's all it's got. And uh, I just think this is one of the great films of all time. It's, mm. It is a behind. I wrote essays on this in school. Mm. You know, Bardot has never been more beautiful or more stunning. Michel Piccoli is amazing. It is considered self-reflexive. It's one of those movies that, uh, you know, one of the first shots is Godard pointing the camera right at the camera. Mm. And Jack Palance is that crazy Hollywood director. The whole thing was shot at Chinechita. It's a great movie. It's a great behind and it's and shot on, you know, this wonderful widescreen cinemascope, these beautiful colors that just pop in 4K. Amazing. I just yeah. can't say enough about this. I am so thrilled that this is out on its 60th anniversary. Extra. Look, I love that film. I, I'm an Alphaville guy. I mean, if we're talking good idea, yeah. Alphaville. But, but uh, yeah, that is just extraordinary. Um, uh, look, um, uh, what's your name? Uh, Brigitte, uh, Bardot, uh, Bardot. um, 
she went a little sideways. <laughs> you know, honestly, later in years, the one that that, that, that didn't is the extraordinary Sophia Loren. Oh my God! Sophia has never gone sideways. For one, for one thing, she's still beautiful, uh, uh, and she's never gone sideways. Uh, she, she, her, her mind is clear. She still works. You know, had, had a film a couple of couple of years ago that one that her son directed, um, uh, and uh, and yeah, and Brigitte. Uh, well, what are you going to do? So the last four K here. Let's talk for a second about Barbie. billion dollars the most successful warner brothers film dollar per for dollar in history Mm. beat all the harry potter movies the first billion dollar movie since before the pandemic Mm. saved warner brothers saved the the movies along with oppenheimer this year which almost made a billion Mm -hmm. um is it all that well, look, I'm, I'm, it's, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed Barbie. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, if you had told me, suggested to me, you know, this movie's going to make a billion dollars, mm-hmm. you know, two weeks before it came out or whatever, yeah. or any time before, I, I'd have told you you were crazy. Yeah. Uh, I'd have told you that. It'll probably do well. Actually, Margot was coming off a couple of rough moments, Margot Robbie coming yeah. off of that yeah. tough uh, situation from that, uh, uh, what, was, what was the one she did? Um, oh, Bar- Babylon. Yeah. Uh, and, and whatnot. So she was, she was she, and she was dealing with, you know, taking the brunt of the heat from that as though that flop was her fault. Yep. Uh, which was irritating. Um, it, but I would not have I would not have pegged this at being a billion dollar movie. Now no. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have pegged Oppenheimer at being a billion dollar movie either. Me neither. Me neither. Um, um, so you know, apparently, rocks. And, and the thing of it is, they're 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 counter programming one to the other. These these two movies were making money I at know. the box office together, literally at the same time. And, Very interesting. And the people who were like, oh, it's Bar- it's the Barbenheimer thing. People are going to see them both. I, I said to people, Ray tried to tell that to me. I said, no, they're not. There is nobody. There are no 22-year-old girls who are going to see Barbie. And then their next thought is, hey, let's go see that three-hour movie about the guy who invented the atomic bomb. No, they're not going to do that. No. They're not going to do that. No. And, it, and, it, and it came out when they did the audience surveys, Barbie primarily women but mm-hmm. women in their like 30s right women mm-hmm. in their 30s it wasn't even the young women it was yeah, in their 20s yes but a lot of women in their 30s because it was nostalgia right mm-hmm. and oppenheimer heavily men over 50 right 40 and over 40 over 50 i mean different audiences so totally different audiences but enough income there to support two hits Yes. In the middle of a summer at the same time. If that exists, that exists. That means that at any given moment, you can have two big ass movies making a whole lot of money, at least. To non Disney, non Marvel, non Lucasfilm, non Pixar films that do not have a universe or a sequel element to them, not based on anything other than, in Barbie's case, toys and in Oppenheimer, a real sure. person. Yeah. But no pre existing cinematic IP that they're mm-hmm. working with. Not even a they, book, not a novel, not an article, nothing, none of that. Nothing, Just, you know, I, script had to, the scripts had to be written from. I so mean, there you go. I, a lot of, a lot of, it, it, Barbie looks amazing. I'm going to be straight up honest. This, the, you know, all that whole pink vibe that this thing had going. And I have to say, on Halloween, you see the saturation of pink in the culture. Mm. Everything, when we're taking our daughter uh, trick or treating, everyone was dressed as Barbie or messy. 
<laughs> Messi wears the pink jersey for for uh, Miami in soccer yeah. now, right? Yeah, and yeah. Barbie, everything in this movie is pink. People, it's just it, it was pink everywhere on Halloween. I've never seen such a pink Halloween. Yeah, you know, I love pink. Pink is my pink, pink is my. Well, uh, I mean, I have some narrative problems with Barbie. I thought they could have done more with the fish out of water stuff, but mm. on 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 balance, I am very happy with what the film did um, and what it represents overall. And I could not be more happy for Greta Gerwig. Well, my favorite thing in Barbie, Greta's fantastic. Love you, Emerald uh, Fennel. Emerald yeah. Fennel is in Barbie. Midge, she plays Midge. Yeah. The, you know, the, which is one of the yeah. funnier sort of uh, and incarnations of 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 of, of uh, all the kinds of Barbies that are in the show. And Emerald, of course course has what does she have emerald you know that uh the she won that screenplay oscar uh yes for uh whatever the it was a couple years woman, uh, yeah, the young, young woman, woman. promising young woman she yeah. has salt burn coming out which i think i told you at the top of yeah. the show I, I saw the other day and of course you know you see emerald uh and it's just everything i think she was in called the midwife for a while i know she's she's played somebody in the uh in those the queen uh yeah. series yeah. uh you know and so i i think that we probably need to say of emerald fennel hey kid <laughs> Good work. You're doing yeah. good. Work. No, we love Greta uh, and everything. But I got to tell you, this 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 Emerald Fennel kid, kid is fantastic. Yeah. And and, she, and she's doing good work in front of, behind the camera, writing scripts. I think we need to elevate her, Greta, all of these young ladies. Yeah. Uh, excellent work, young ladies. Excellent yeah. work. I agreed. Uh, shall we wrap out with a few new movies? Right, baby. Just non-4K. All right. King of Killers. So uh, King of Killers, is it goes like this. Um, somebody says, Hey, you know what? Let's, let's, let's make a John Wick knockoff. Great idea. Okay. How much money do we have? About $16. Oh, <laughs> can't, can't really... uh, well, first thing, you know what we're going to need? We're going to need Frank Grillo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we, we, we can get him for fourteen ninety five. but you know, yeah. Kevin Gravoy. So Kevin Gravoy. Yeah. Um, who has that brother with this voice? You know that voice. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. has that voice. Who, of course, actor, of course, but but also wrote one of the writers, one of the creators. Yeah, of that uh, that vampire series. What's the name of that vampire series that he created uh, with uh, with the beautiful actress in it? Oh, Kevin, let me hold on. Let me find it real quick. Uh, I don't think I even knew this. I mean, he. he yeah. he's, the the thing about Kevin is he's Kevin is a little bit like a Dolph Lundgren character. Yeah, he came to movies. He's he's like a he's like a genius um, oh, yeah. engineering guy, like an M, one of those MIT guys. Oh, Kevin with that, Kevin with the Howard uh, with, a, with he has yeah. a degree in microbiology. That, that's what it is. He's like a he's like a, a master's degree in genetic engineering. He can literally yeah. make me and you. What yeah. Kevin can do? This and, huge and, brother. And at a certain point, he just got the filmmaking bug, and so he's now he basically makes these kind of you know low budget action films. Yeah, well, the um, Underworld series. That's the series. The Underworld. Underworld. Series. I did not know that. Okay. Yeah, he created that series, and you know, and then he, he has this sort of physical presence in this voice. So he, so he, you know, he he's in the movie. He's a, in this movie too. That. He wrote uh, but and directed, he and he's in it too. I'm, I'm just uh, glad he got the shot. You know, is yeah, no, absolutely, that, absolutely. Yeah. And in fairness, you know, I mean, we're making fun of this, Frank. It, basically, this is like um, the the premise here is that there are a bunch of the Frank Grio is a, is this evil hitman who wants to know that he's the king of killers. So he he basically rounds up all of his rivals and puts them in kind of a a killer be killed death match thing to see who survives, and then he will fight the one that survives. That's the way that it goes. Yeah. And it's it's rather silly. Stephen Dorff is in this. None of it is is particularly well made but 
you know what? I it, it, it's got Frank Grio, and I and I always root for Frank. That do. don't hurt you. It won't hurt you. So the movie here all. that I'm going to highly recommend is Animal Crackers, animated mm. film. It's, it's I mean, you know, this was on Netflix. It's um. It's a whole thing that deals with a magical box of animal crackers that, that turn people and it, 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 that transform people into animals and back again. You'll, you'll get it. Don't, don't worry too much about it. <laughs> Just enjoy the plot of it. Here's why Sylvester Stallone does a voice. Uh, Danny DeVito is hysterical as the, the, the circus guy. Forget it. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Let's get to the cut to the chase. <laughs> Tim, Tim and I have some friends who are uh, uh, producers. Uh-huh. Um, and Marcus and George, yeah, and we had a great meeting with them, you know, uh, about some of their projects and you know stuff we want to do together. We had a great meeting, and they've got an Animal Crackers poster on their wall because they put the initial financing together for Animal Crackers, uh-huh. and it's signed by the director and the whole thing. It's like they're like, oh, yeah, it should be coming out soon. Sweet, had that had that meeting. Come home, and my wife says to me, uh, <laughs> "I just got hired to deliver Animal Crackers and that." <laughs> <laughs> town is so strange. I said, you, you, you realize that I just met with you. She goes, yeah, I need to call them right now. I'm like, uh, are you serious? Like, what are, what are the odds of this? This is ridiculous. Uh, this is hysterical. Nuts. Literally the same, not just the same week, not even just the same day, the same hour that <laughs> we were meeting so with them. My wife is getting hired to deliver their film to Netflix that we just saw the poster of. I get yeah, home and it happened all at the same time. It's just so nuts. This town is just, this town is just, you know. Like, in what other business does that happen? Yeah. You know, Kevin Gravoy is a voice in Animal Crackers. <laughs> That's just, just to bring the point home. Tiny, bring it tiny all home. town, from tiny town, folks. Bring it all home. Um, we love Nicole Holofcener. Uh, I yeah. think she's one of the best American filmmakers working. I, I hate that so much of her stuff gets stuck going straight to streaming. But this one, not necessarily. This is an A24 film released uh, on Blu-ray from Lionsgate. You Hurt My Feelings with mm-hmm. uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Tobias Menzies. I love this film. I can't. I, this is one of my favorite films of the year. I'm almost certain this is going to be right near the top of my top 10. Mm. I think this is an amazing movie. Did you did you get a chance to see this? I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, on my it, list. Is on just, my list. it is so great. So Julia Louis-Dreyfus is a novelist who's really struggling. Her career is is really, you know, she's trying to get people, you know, like all these novelists, she just wants to write a good book and have people read it. Her husband's a therapist. And um, the, there's a question of... Uh, whether or not he's being honest about what he says about her book. And there, you know, there's another couple in the film and it, it, it all gets into the, the dynamics of honesty in a relationship and the struggles of artists. And yeah, there's kind of a, a, uh, the same dynamic that you get on the honeymooners and, and I love Lucy, right? You know, the women mm-hmm. are confidants and the husbands are confidants, right? So where you have these two couples, but you know, they, they also break apart guys against girls every once in a while. And there's, there's that dynamic here, which is dramatically always very, very helpful, but what a beautifully written and directed film, funny, touching, sad, hilarious, and true. Nicole Holofcener is a gem also guaranteed to be near the top of my top 10 is air. Mm. I, this oh, yeah, yeah. So freaking great. This is interesting because Air um, was a uh, it's not Netflix. Who's who? Who who put Air out? 
It was Air, uh, Amazon Prime. Let me look it's Amazon quick. Prime. It yeah, is Amazon Prime. Prime. Yeah, Prime. And um, what's interesting about it is that it has been released on Warner Brothers mm. home video through their MGM license. But wa- this is one of the rare Warner Brothers that does not come with a Movies Anywhere code. Oh, Amazon Prime. This is Amazon Prime. They don't want Amazon to Prime. Yeah. Just, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, you got to watch it on TV on Amazon Prime or, uh, or you know, get the Blu-ray standalone. Anyway, if you don't know, Air, I think, is the best film that Ben Affleck has ever directed. Uh, and it's just absolutely superb. It is the story of Nike and the Michael Jordan shoe deal. And I know if that sounds like, yeah, that sounds kind of boring. No, 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 no. Trust me. There were three movies that came out earlier this year. They're all kind of sort of telling the same story. There's Air, there's Tetris, mm-hmm. and then there's Blackberry, which is a Canadian mm-hmm. film. And mm-hmm. they're all sort of doing the same thing, which is they're, they're taking either Jordan and the Nike shoe deal or the success of Tetris as a video game or the success of the Blackberry. And they're going back in time and saying these were underdogs facing incredible odds who somehow rose to the top of their industry in this reckless, crazy period of the 80s or in the case of Blackberry, the 90s. Mm-hmm. And they're all sort of doing the same thing. Air is the best of them by far because it doesn't need to fabricate like Tetris invents this whole black ops espionage thing happening in Russia. Mm. Air is just straight up the story of how Nike, which was not a huge company at the time, Adidas was the 800 pound gorilla. How how they you know Matt Damon is the the basketball guy and Ben Affleck is you know the 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 CEO of Nike. They're all trying to you know Michael Jordan is get entering the NBA. Yeah, but we would want you know why don't we go for you know these guys? They're likely to go higher in the draft, and these guys you know everyone's trying to figure out you know the shoe promotion thing. Everything changed. The Air Jordan deal changed sports. It changed shoes. It changed marketing. It changed everything. And it's an amazing story. And they are all so good. And the best choice in this film is they really don't make Michael Jordan a character. No, he's back. Like, yeah. he's, you see the back of his head, head or something. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it. That's yeah. Uh, it, but 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 Dolores Jordan Viola Davis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His, you know, Mike's mom. Yeah, uh, it's, 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 although not in the film that much, nevertheless makes her presence felt. Yes the actress and the character and you really you, you come to understand something very important about that family and the way that family worked and, 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 and the intelligence and where where the sort of savvy and intelligence of, uh, comes from in michael jordan yeah. it comes from his mama <laughs> that's where it comes from and and in the scene where matt damon's character decides he's not even gonna he, he's gonna break everybody oh I, you know what christmas cena is jordan's agent i have oh, to get it. he eats uh, the scenery he is so amazing i mean i love that guy he is the best he's the best actor never to win an academy award or even be nominated but and he was standing he was in line in front of me by the way at the uh, premiere for killers of the flower moon I oh. him, i'm like oh it's christmas cena i you know i think i'll just stand here and be a normal person and not <laughs> say to him you're so good in air <laughs> <laughs> it was not going to be that guy. He, would, anyway. he probably would have appreciated that. Though. He probably would have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, oh, and, and Jason Bateman just takes a total supporting role here. Chris yeah. Tucker shows up for like, you know, 10 minutes and to, to do his shtick. I mean, everybody kind of, you know, plays their role here. Nobody tries to show anybody else up. It's great. No, but there's a the, the, my favorite. My favorite moment in this. My favorite piece of acting is the guy who plays Jordan's dad. Can't even remember the guy's name. The actor. Uh, 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 that's Julius Tennant. I know Julius from a bunch of different things. And and. and and, I, and again, I love the way they shape that. Yeah. He has the most honest moment, which is when Matt Damon shows up. Matt Damon dr- 
drives to their home and shows up at their doorstep to make the solicitation. And he's working on a car. Jordan's mm-hmm. dad is working on a car. He's working under the hood. And he looks up and he smiles. And uh, Matt Damon says, hi, you know, I'm so-and-so. I'm, I'm here from Nike. And, he, and dad smiles and he goes, here we go. It's this this beautiful moment, right? He just, they know it's coming. They know their kid is amazing. They know that money and those offers are going to flow. The game begins. Game on. It's a wonderful moment. That smile and that here we go. It's just beautiful. And and he immediately hands Matt. Oh, that's right. Yes. Over over to Dolores. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me let me take you to the boss. Yes, yeah, I, I'm going to keep working on this car, but you, you two have a talk. Have a talk. Everything's going to be fine for us. Right. So I love that area. It's so good. Also, the Wallace and Gromit shorts have been out of print for a long mm. time. Lionsgate had the license last. It expired. God bless the people at Shout Kids, Shout Factory, Shout Studio, Shout Kids. They they pick that sucker up because they know their audience, and uh, we now have Wallace and Gromit, the complete cracking collection on Blu-ray again. Hmm. So you don't have to buy any of those UK imports or anything else. Uh, and this includes not only a grand day out, the wrong trousers, a close shave, and a matter of loaf and death, two of which won Academy Awards. Um, it includes cracking contraptions, which is a uh, these 10 short shorts about all of the crazy things that Wallace invents that, you know, help in the modern world. It's just absolutely wonderful. My daughter grew up on these. I'm Mm. so happy to have it in the house again. It's fantastic. Wallace and Gromit, the complete cracking collection. Thank you, Shout. A few others here before we wrap out. The Last Voyage of the Demeter. Uh, I don't remember. Did you actually wind up seeing this or not? Oh, that's the uh, Dracula thing, right? Uh, well, kind of. So they say. <laughs> the, the, the not Dracula thing. I didn't get yeah. through all that movie, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's uh, it, it's not good. Um, mm. But here's the thing. What makes it sort of interesting is it's basically alien. It's mm. basically alien. And the premise of it is interesting. Um, the, the, the Corey Hawkins, who's a very, very good actor, um, plays a guy who is the first black uh, graduate of the London Medical Academy. Mm-hmm. But because of that, and we're 19th century here, he can't get a legit job in a hospital. So he takes a job as a ship's doctor, which just happens to be the ship that has a whole lot of ugly stuff in its cargo, one of which is Dracula, who's, who eventually wakes up and starts you know, murdering everybody on the ship. And um, all of that is straight up alien. It's just mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a monster on a ship killing people. And, you know, they're trying to stop it. And everybody dies except for one guy. And, you know, not not Sigourney Weaver. It's this case, it's Corey Hawkins. So there you go. That's it. But the end of this thing, which they intend to set up a sequel, that's interesting. The interesting movie is the last five minutes. The rest of it I could do without. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. anyway, this thing was they've been trying to make this thing for 20 years. Um. Gerard Butler in Kandahar. I don't know why he keeps making movies like this. Uh, he's, a, he's a CIA CIA guy in Afghanistan and his, his cover is blown. And so he's got to, you know, fight his way out. That's really all it is. Lots of guns, lots of explosions, lots of Gerard Butler and his, and his facial hair. Mm. Uh, otherwise, I don't know. Gran Turismo. Did you ever play the game? Uh, a little bit. Way back in the day. Way back in the day. Sure. I've sure, never played sure. the game. 
What do you, is the is the does do, do, how does the movie? I, 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 did, I did not understand this movie. This movie, uh, uh, Neil Blomkamp, you know, uh, Dish yeah. and I'm and, 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 yeah. and, and all of that stuff. There, um, this movie to me uh, felt like a game. Uh, a game in which I didn't have a controller, <laughs> and I'm like, well, "What the hell am I watching this for?" But that's, but I, but I don't know. No, it did not quite do it for me. Ah, uh, well. Uh, and then two very la- two last final titles: Jewels with Ben Kingsley. Um, this is basically ET with Ben Kingsley and a and a and an alien that doesn't really look like an alien. It's like somebody in a suit. Um, yeah, look, this is Ben Kingsley is an old guy in a small town and he's always complaining to the city council and he's, you know, his daughter thinks he's going crazy. And then a flying saucer crashes on his property and, uh, and and there's an alien that he lives with and, you know, tries to keep secret and all the old people it's, it's ET with old people. That's Mm -hmm. what it is, right? It's all the crazy old people and the kids think they're crazy. There's nothing else to it. It's kind of sweet. Um, yeah, Mark, 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 what did Mark, did Mark Turtletop do? I want to say Miss Little Miss Sunshine. Is that him? Yeah. Producer. Okay. He's yeah. Producer. Okay. He's produced yeah. a ton of films. Yeah. He directed this one, but he's a huge producer. And I mean, it's kind of sweet, but I mean, there's nothing spectacular about it. Um, my Big Fat Greek Wedding 3. Oh, my goodness. You know, um, a lot of people who, I guess, still need work and yeah. went back to the well. Um, no. 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 I agree. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Nia, Nia, Nia still looks great. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah it probably looks great. Yeah. This one's set Rita. literally mostly in Greece. Mostly in Greece. Rita and Tom <laughs> Hanks. Rita and Tom Hanks still produced. Yeah. They. They still threw their weight behind this thing, but uh, you know, I mean, it, is it offensive? Is it horrible? No. Is it necessary? No. Not in the least. It's got all kinds of things going on in this movie, and a few. Uh, yes, no, that's okay. <laughs> oh well, there we go. All right, that's it for this week, everybody. Um, good, good blow through. We're gonna, we're not, sure. we're gonna try to get back here with a holiday show and some uh, gift guide recommendations before long. We got a lot of other stuff in the works too. Uh, yeah. Meetings today, so we'll hopefully be able to break some news to people soon if all that pans out in the meanwhile um tim you're headed off you're headed home for thanksgiving you're gonna, you're gonna do a little business and uh, get around right. my mom's and thanksgiving and be back take care of a little business here all kinds of stuff going on dude. all right man well, to, to you and everyone else have a great thanksgiving we'll have more on award season and holidays and all the rest of that stuff the next time we see Thank you.